It's 1998 and screenwriters Ken Kaufman and Howard Clausner are in a good mood and with good reason they've just sold their latest screenplay to Warner Brothers. Space Cowboys is the story of a team of retired Air Force officers called up to lead an emergency mission into space to repair an ailing Soviet-era satellite. And Warner's won none other than, obviously for this podcast, Clint Eastwood to star and direct. There's just one problem. As much as Clint likes the writing and the characters, he's not that keen on the actual premise of Space Cowboys thinking it's just a little unbelievable. Why would NASA ever send a load of guys in their 60s and their 70s into space, he wonders. So it looks like Space Cowboys could be just another script left to languish on the pile marked development hell. But then, just a few months after Warner's bought the script, then-Senator and former Mercury 7 test pilot John Glenn, who was 77 at the time, returned to space 36 years after becoming the first American to orbit the Earth in Friendship 7. In October 1998, as part of the crew of the Space Shuttle Discovery's nine-day research mission, Glenn would become the oldest person ever to go into space, and the story made headlines all around the world and convinced Clint Eastwood that maybe Space Cowboys wasn't so far-fetched after all. Eastwood assembled an all-star cast with himself, Tommy Lee Jones, Donald Sutherland, and James Garner as the long-in-the-tooth astronauts, Marsha Gay Harden as mission director Sarah Holland, and James Cromwell, who is brilliant in the film, as the guy's slimy former boss and now NASA director Bob Gerson. He also found a group of young actors to play the young versions of the characters in the film's 1958 set prologue, in which, for some reason, uh, the young actors are dubbed by the older actors, and the results of that are... um, uh, well, it's a choice, uh, and we'll get into that. Filming began in July 1999, and with NASA's support, the production team had access to Houston's Johnson Space Center, Florida's Kennedy Space Center, and even Cape Canaveral. The movie was released in August 2000. It did well at the box office, earned $120 million off a $60 million budget, and it got pretty positive reviews, with plenty of praise for its stars and only a little bit of criticism for its maybe too traditional story structure, and we'll get into that as well. Welcome to the podcast with no name. Tonight's guest, Dr. Dean Burnett. You can find Dean on Twitter at at Garuboy, as well as being a good friend of mine. He's a neuroscientist and an author who's written numerous books as well as articles for The Guardian, The Telegraph, Lonely Planet, The LA Times, and under the pseudonym Vera Von Dark, he writes porn. That's not true. His latest book, Psychological, Why Mental Health Goes Wrong and How to Make Sense of It is out in February, but now let's go to our conversation on a subject that after reading all of his achievements, I'm starting to think maybe he may be overqualified for, Space Cowboys. You got a beer and everything? I got a cup of tea and a beer. I'll I'll, I'll drink them both and watch them fight it out. It'll be fine. (laughs) There's not that much caffeine in, no, like no. tea. I mean, they're not going to go to war. I, sh- I should say the difference between this and um, other podcasts you may have been on. There's none. There's none of that introduction stuff. <laughs> okay, right, I, so just... I'm just. I'm going to fade up. I'll just fade up on this. The show could have already started. It depends where I choose to fade up. We Fine. could start on the noise of whatever the hell that was. Then it was a beer bottle top uh, falling yeah. onto a, like a laptop. That- <laughs> <laughs> it's niche, it's niche. But you know, I imagine some more common noise that people are giving credit for. So, when we started talking about you doing this, hmm. um, you were going to do Firefox because you like brains and that. And That's generally the gist, yes. And it was, and because Firefox is loosely 
brain based because the plugs are playing into a brain or something. <laughs> and then, yeah. and you seem keen on Firefox, I told you that. And then you were like, you know, I've got other interests. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I like doing podcasts. Obviously, in the middle of lockdown, when you can't do much else, it becomes more of a more an outlet than, I'm, than I normally do. But <laughs> I normally get invited on to talk about brains and brain related things. So, uh, uh, as someone, I thought, well, we don't, we're already friends. I can tell you, like, you know, I, I can. I, I'm slightly more diverse than my <laughs> public persona would suggest. But uh, I was I'm still keen to do it, or like happy to do it, you know, because well, you, you you didn't sell it as an especially brilliant film. Firefox, oh, it's fucking shit. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what you said. I was trying to be nice about it, but and we've. I mean, sorry, Clint East was not in the room with me when I record these. <laughs> most most of the time, um, <laughs> yet when anyway. he when he can, he does try to to be here. Um, but he's not tonight. So what was it about Space Cowboy? Because I think you suggested Space Cowboys. Mm. So what is about this that is one of your, as you say, other interests? <laughs> well, it's generally um, sci-fi space-based stuff is what I'm really quite fond of. Uh, I know we both share that because we've both talked about um, your appearance on the, the Spotlight podcast. And uh, it turns out we, <laughs> it's quite a revelation for me. It's a podcast first, perhaps. But it turns out we were at the same Star Trek convention 14 years before we actually met yeah. for real. We only just uh, found, found that out at 2 o'clock in the morning while chatting on WhatsApp the other week. Yes, that, that's exactly what happened. And uh, I told my mother, and she was uh, aghast at the fact that the reason we never got to meet Chekhov was your fault, which was, <laughs> <laughs> which was quite fun. I mean, yeah. uh, at the Star Trek convention in Cardiff, and I, I broke Walter Koenig's will. <laughs> yeah. Just because I, I, I knew a bunch of Star Trek people back then, and I, they were like... Um, Oh, can you get him to sign some stuff for me? It's, I just knew a bunch of Welsh, like proper Welsh name people as well. And by the time I got to my sister, who's Gwen Chian, I said, can you sign this to Gwen Chian? He just went, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> uh, and there was like a queue behind me and he just he just mm. stood up. And, and it wasn't as organised. It wasn't like it wasn't like when you see like Comic-Con, there's just queues of people and it's very organised. This was just, he was just in the corner of like the foyer. Yeah, I remember that. I remember walking past and I remember saying to my mother, like, is that, is that Chekhov? Is is he just ch- sat there behind this table like, oh, it's actually Chekhov. Just Tom. Chekhov sitting behind a, like a yeah. picnic table by the door. I, remember, but I think I remember the whole day was like that. It wasn't like, I think I was expecting something like you occasionally saw in American documentaries and stuff like this big slick operation. But it was very much a case of Oh, we'll just throw a lot of stuff together, see what happens. It's almost yeah. like a sort of science fiction car boot sale vibe to it sometimes, which it, I, mean, it, I liked. It, yeah, you know, it was lovely. Yeah. And it, it was the Welsh version of Comic-Con. I mean, I haven't been yeah, any of the new very much. It was just sort of like, now in, Chekhov, is it? Now then, um, not a fan of <laughs> Russian plays generally, but you sit there, there's a thermos of warm something. Just relax. Just tell him it's cowl. He doesn't know what cowl is. Yeah, tell him it's cowl. <laughs> Tim is fucking Romulan Cowl, whatever the fuck he needs by. Uh, yeah. um, so we start. We are we are science fiction fans. So this, I mean, I guess this is one of Clint Eastwood's two science fiction films. Really, he, he, I guess Firefox. Firefox, is, yeah. Yeah, fire, I mean, it's kind of an espionage thing, but you had a weird brain playing into it, and it's got a science fiction element to it. This one. I mean, I guess it's it's science based and it is fiction, but it doesn't really. Until no. until the end, it gets yeah. it gets quite stupid, science fiction. Definitely. But it, but yeah. it is, it's it's a just it's just a lovely film about a bunch, a bunch <laughs> yeah. of old grousing mm. men, which is yeah. my favourite genre. Um, so, it, did you enjoy the film? I did actually. Yeah, it's the second time I've seen it. I remember seeing it years ago. Uh, again, I always say, but it was a case of flicking through the the old school Sky channels when you couldn't record anything or it didn't have 
digital stuff and just things would come on and this was one of them and it's like i'm thinking this is actually fine you know i'll, I'll sit down and watch this and no matter much else going on and I think, like I say, it's not, it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a sci-fi, I think it's more of a, it's a fiction film with a lot of science in it, but it doesn't really, so it, it doesn't really say anything which is particularly ridiculous, so again, apart from the end, but that's just more plotty rather than, you know, it doesn't introduce <laughs> anything, there's not many sort of ludicrous far-fetched concepts, or, well, again, we'll, we'll get to it, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but like, there's nothing in the film which says, like, you know, you're not going to believe this, or like, this is, this is really pushing the envelope of what, what, what we know, it's just like, well, here's a few things, um, Space is definitely a thing. Satellites are a thing. Astronauts are a thing. Let's combine them in a few ways. Oh, getting old is a thing. Uh, let's put all those together and see what happens. But, uh, but yeah, I, I did actually enjoy it. And like you say, it's you know Eastwood, Tommy Lee Jones, Sutherland, and uh, Garner. Like just four genuinely reliably good actors. Um, they all seem to have a nice time. Uh, you know, I think the script doesn't act doesn't ask a great deal of them in terms of you know not pushing their usual um, output and things but generally I enjoyed the film I, I was surprised again I, I can't remember it taking this long but um, it took a quite a while to get to space which was uh, I guess you, like you say I was important but when they got there stuff happened um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I think the ending was a bit like okie dokie that's alright I, I guess that's that's that, 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 that happened but, yeah they um, needed something for that last half hour didn't they yeah yeah <laughs> like, like it's almost like they wrote themselves into a bit of a corner saying, uh, well, they're in space. Well, what else do you want? They've got to come back. Otherwise, this is really grim. This is suddenly a real grim film. The, yeah. I think, for me, a lot of the, the least believable things are... It's not poor writing. It's very solidly written, this film. But there's, there's <laughs> elements to it. And I think, there's, I think probably the first time I said, oh, fuck off. It was fairly early on in this film. So it's, it, the, the prologue is set in 1958. They're all relatively young men. Weirdly, they're all the same age, despite all the actors having about 20 years between them all together. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're quite a diverse group, Because huh? I think cause Tommy Lee Jones is not... He was in his late 50s, I think, at this point. Whereas Clint Eastwood was 70. I think Garner was a bit older than that. I don't know where Donald Sutherland, but in the prologue, it's they're supposed to all be basically the same age, sort of early twenties. Yeah, and almost so, the same school, really, isn't it? Like the same class, uh, yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, which and I, I can kind of believe it with Garner and Eastwood, but Tommy Lee Jones really does look quite a lot younger than. But mm. um, in the prologue, they're all, uh, which is fifty-eight. They're all in their early twenties. They're part of a um, a program, uh, an experimental aircraft program, uh, and they basically they all want to go into space at some point. That's that's the thing. Um, but they don't. But it sets up the relationship between the four of them, and they, they get yeah. on very well. Um, there's, I mean, there's foreshadowing right at the start where mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones' character, a young, he's called Hawk, is flying <laughs> the plane. He pushes the plane too far, and he ends up crashing it. But just before he's done that, him and he happens to just be saying that the Clint Eastwood character, who's Maggie Smith's son, he doesn't he look like Clint Eastwood though. I think yeah. Young, well, like I asked you, saying like I know it's twenty years too early, but have the Irishman this because it is really quite. Um, oh yeah, I thought it's really quite quite quite, quite an effective thing. But it did make me realise, and I think they mentioned this in the trip in the first series. But I guess you, you don't really appreciate it unless you actually see it like, in a context like this. But people's voices age too. Like someone yeah. has an old voice, and you can tell. Like James Cromwell is the the, the director, and um, it's clearly James Cromwell. Oh, crusty old yeah. James Cromwell. So it's not thirty-something man. What they've done man. is they've got they've hired actors in their their twenties, but they've kept they've kept <laughs> yeah. the actors, and they have done no post-production of the voices whatsoever. So all these no. like guys in them. <laughs> 
20, you should go, I'm 25 years old, right? Yeah. And it is like the oral, it's like the sonic version of the Irishman. It's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's, but I, it's, I was, it's Cromwell especially. It's, it's just, yeah, he's it's, particularly distinctive. That's clearly James Cromwell. It's not, this guy might, he, this guy could look exactly like 20-year-old James Cromwell. You still think, that is not James Cromwell then. That is James Cromwell now talking, is it? These guys are all in their twenties, but you know, unless they started smoking the day they were born, they would not. Sound Which I like guess this. they might have done. It was the yeah, mid-century. It, it was that era. <laughs> um, so that that I didn't really bother me. Now actually, took me a little oh. bit out of it, but you kind of let yeah. it go. Exactly. Um, it didn't bother me at all. But it was a case of oh um, oh yeah, that, that's their actual voice and different faces. So yeah. it, it was it was it was it was an observation which occurred to me. But um, again, if it wasn't, you know, if you had less known. Uh, actors in the leads, it probably wouldn't have been a problem. You could have like, that guy's a bit of a cro- croaky voice for a 20 year old, but because it's so clearly there. I'm not sure why they did it. It's not like you can have him do an impression because you can see from um, Toby Smith, who's the young Clint Eastwood, he's doing the face. I bet if, I bet they'd, because I bet they did talk on the day. It's not like they were just mouthing along. Mm. Uh, I he his face is doing what you think a young Clint Eastwood would have done. I bet he sounded exactly like him, and for some reason they went with no, we're going to dub him, which seems like a stupid uh, choice to me. Yeah. But but it's fine. Yeah. Um, do you think it was like a, it was like a Star Wars thing where David Prowse watched it and found out he was dubbed in in, in the theater? As in, do you think maybe they did oh, maybe? <laughs> oh, imagine. He took his oh. mother as well. I bet. Oh, That'd be awful. I'm so proud of my boy. He's finally in a big Hollywood film. He's playing a young Clint Eastwood, sort of. <laughs> Semi. Um, <coughs> right at the start of the film, we got Tommy Jones's character, who Hawk, who says, "I'm going to go to the moon one day. I don't know when, but I'm going to go." And he's singing Frank Sinatra's "Fly Me to the Moon." Yeah, and it's like, even without yeah. having seen it before, I think I would have been like, "I can see how this is going to play out." Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that in this, and again, it's fine, but it's also like. The writer's room doesn't take a great deal of chances. I mean, he's an expert pilot. He's called Hawk. I mean, that doesn't smack of. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they're not taking many risks with the writing at this point. So no, and, and they and they never really do. This is there's no point denying mm. this is a dad movie. So, Absolutely. Um, they he pushes the envelope too much with his experimental craft. Uh, they crash land it. Him and the young Clint Eastwood. So young Tommy Lee Jones and young Clint Eastwood get into a bit of a fight. And there's a conflict because you need that for drama. So it's all very efficient. This is all happens in about five minutes. Oh, they're at a press conference, aren't they? So um, mm. young James Cromwell, this is the first part I went, oh, fuck off. James Cromwell is there giving <laughs> a talk about um, the uh, Clint Eastwood's team, the four guys. Uh, and he's talking about the space program. Team Daedalus, isn't it? Daedalus, yeah. yeah. It's generally uh, a good name. I think Daedalus is a good name for, for most things. For most things. <laughs> Cats. <laughs> Shops. Whatever you want. I don't know. I mean, it's a terrible... Oh, God. It's kind of pretentious name for a cat. Well, <laughs> cats are pretentious. In they my are, they are. And they, so they're at, they're at some sort of um, press conference to say, oh, uh, NASA's taken over the operation, oh, which NASA's just been invented. They've ju- the press conference says, that, look, NASA's just been invented. That They're going to be in charge of space now. And who could be better... And the four guys are standing right there. Who could be better than to be the first American Americans in space? And then he goes, and this is uh, the first American in space, and then introduces a chimpanzee. And everyone's like, brilliant. And that's how the four guys find out that yeah, it, they're going to be uh, replaced by chimpanzees. Basically, Jim's Cromwell is, it's the 50s version, he's out and out trolling them, isn't he? This is, there's no oh, purpose to this other than to make them look ridiculous and really crush their dreams. And that's no, that's not nice. That's, that's, it's not subtle, but it's like, oh wow, he really is a dickhead. Then he really, 
he went all out. It takes a lot of planning to <laughs> to make this happen, to, to embarrass someone to this extent. Although I did say, a couple of my notes are that the, the part where he, um, you know, they take the, the, the fight they did up to space, it ices over and falls back. I mean, Iron Man actually took that same concept and uh, in the first Iron Man film, so it's got good pedigree there, I guess. Um, but I think it is nice to see the you know, a film acknowledge the ancient, oh, the ancient, it's not, it's what we were talking a couple of decades ago, but um, like they, originally American space travel was going to be the Air Force. Like they were meant to be in charge of that and then they introduced NASA instead. And I don't know what, it was obviously politics and stuff. And I think because it was a Cold War thing, they wanted to show it as a, you know, it was not a military operation. It was a civilian operation and therefore space. They've done that. NASA hasn't been associated with weapons or anything since but there has been apparently since a lot of interdepartmental rivalry where the air force think they should be you know the ones handling space and stuff i feel like years ago i read a thing because they weren't now we think about it it's like obviously um nasa pilots tend to be recruited from the air force but early on they were they they weren't sure if necessarily uh pilots should be the first people in space and they started sort of shopped around for who should be the first people in space and like they were Auditioning different types of people, so engineers, obviously pilots, and as- and um, acrobats. They thought acrobats would be the ones who did best in zero gravity, which would. I mean, I think that's a very different history. <laughs> yeah, that's the first acrobat in space. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. What's, what's the, that Vegas lot? I can't remember. The and now the, the first time I want to be the, the moon. first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make it to the moon. I'm joining Cirque du Soleil. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like all young kids wearing like makeshift leotards rather than space suits. I'm gonna stuff. go to space, Dad. <laughs> good, good on you, son. Yeah, but um, like, again, it's it's funny to think. You know, it's it's good that they didn't know back then. They had no idea what in space involved. And I heard I read somewhere once that um, the reason like the the lunar modules, like those first thing in space, have those massive big semi you know, semicircular pads to land on. Why like that's why like Neil Armstrong to jump down from it is because they were genuinely convinced that the, the lay of the moon was like full of like 20 feet of dust and it would just sink into it and uh, they didn't think it would be all like a firm crust so they just you know, they built that on the off chance so that's why the lunar module is such a, sort of a long drop to, to the surface <laughs> and stuff like that you just don't know any of things people didn't know stuff then yeah and and hmm. I, I assume that they would have sent something to the moon first to check it out, but I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think they did. They're just like, no, send them a couple of eyes down. Send them eyes away down. <laughs> yeah. um, you can replace his people, I guess. There's plenty of those around. <laughs> These boys got fuck all. <laughs> yeah. um, this is the Welsh, uh, obviously. Wassa. Wassa. We're going to send some boys up. Where they land, nobody knows or gives a fuck. Right? <laughs> They're from Merthyr. They'll manage. Don't worry about it. <laughs> It's a, it's it's a completely barren fucking place. We sent three boys up, and somehow they were absolutely surrounded by minge in ten minutes. <laughs> Merthyr boys, see? It looks it. I don't know how they find it, but they find it on a barren rock. Those boys. So anyway, oh, and we 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 switch. There, oh, I should mention there's a love there's a lovely moment right at the start of the film because obviously it's called Space Cowboys, and I think Clint. Eastwood has done the music himself. Because um, <laughs> he, he does, he's a composer as well. Um, uh, of course he is. He works with a guy called Lenny Niehaus, but he's not. And it's it starts off with the, it's almost this. I thought it was the music from Unforgiven. I thought he was doing a joke, but it's that sort of lovely, sort of Western twang to it. And then, mm. and then a jet flies past. And like, oh, what the fuck is this then? Yeah, um, it is sort of like a sort of a slight fake opening, isn't it? You think it's a westerny film because uh, it's got the big 
you know, the prairie, the the the, the, the yes, and Nevada desert. desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, so it's got like sort of a classic western opening. And then you see like a <laughs> soldier reading a porn mag in a truck, which is an odd choice to open with. But uh, yeah, but then then, then the fact that death goes over, you think, oh, maybe this isn't <laughs> maybe this isn't a Sierra Leone film. <laughs> so Sierra Leone. So, what did I say? <laughs> you said Sierra Leone. What was I, it? Sergio Leone. Sergio Leone, okay, yes. The, yeah, the atrocities <laughs> taking place in Sergio Leone right now are not that bad. Um, um, we Sergio Leone, yes. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I've only ever seen it written down. <laughs> that is, I love that. That's also very... He's moved to Sergio Leone, has he? That's, 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 I, I have, a, I have a, a, an elderly grandparent in the family who refers to Gary Grant as the famous <laughs> film star. Um, um, so we come to uh, the... We switch to the present day, which is the year 2000 when this film came out. Uh, and <clears throat> Marsha Gay Harden, I believe, Oscar nominee. Marsha Gay Harden is this NASA mission operator and she is briefing some Russian, uh, Russian military guys and some NASA guys. Uh, and she does that classic thing that they do in movies where she goes, as you already know... Yep, very, very classic. <laughs> People always tell things, tell them things they already know. That's, that's humans always doing that. Yeah, saying, yeah. I know you know this, so I'm just going to say it out loud f- for no reason. On, on the off chance, someone I can't see is watching this and needs to know it. So, uh, yeah, just in case a few million people around the world are watching this in a film, uh, <laughs> I'll just repeat what you already know, that there's a, a satellite which is, uh, is... It's about a crash. It's, it's, got, it's <clears> orbit <throat> is decaying. It's uh, a Russian... Satellite, but it, it's being maintained up there by, in sort of conjunction with NASA, hmm. I believe. Um, and yeah. the, the head Russian is General Vostok, or Vostov. I've written, I may have written to Vosto something, you know, Russian name. And he's saying, and, and I think everyone at NASA is just like, well, just let it crash, it'll burn up, it'll be fine. And he's like, he's like, bit of an issue, bit of an issue. Um, yeah. It's um, what it is. Is it's um, and you can tell he's making it up at the spot. It's um, it's our only satellite. <laughs> it's a big argument. It's a communication satellite. If it goes down, uh, Russia won't be able to communicate with itself. Yeah, uh, it is a big place in Venice, so that could be a real thing. Uh, we could be looking at civil war. Yeah, it's like Fuck wait, now, all right. <laughs> yeah, because honestly, if we don't get Sky, <laughs> we will kick because two thousand. I don't know what would they be? the Sopranos. If we can't watch the Sopranos, we are gonna fucking kick off. Uh, and William Devane, who seems to be the NASA, who's a wonderful actor, uh, who recognised from a million things. He uh, he seems to be the NASA mission operator, and he's like he's calling bullshit on it straight away. I'm surprised you've only got the one up there. <laughs> yeah. And James yeah. Cromwell, uh, who is now the, he seems to be the head of NASA. I think so. Yeah, like he, he's always he's always on, on video calls with the vice president. That's so, right. And he's he's of also like, no, we're going to fix it. Uh, we seem really worried about this. Yep, yeah, no reason. Any reason you should be worried? No, definitely not. And he plays it so. Sh- I'd love to play poker with James Cromwell's character in this. <laughs> he's fucking. We know from the off something's up. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, but it's never really clarified. How much he knows, because oh no, not to flash forward, but when it's revealed what's actually going on, he's like com- he completely maintains innocence, even though yeah. So I don't know exactly yeah. to what extent. You know, why is he covering the Russian guy? Isn't it? It's never really. It's never explained, is it, or is it? Or I miss that? No, not clearly. He just. Um, I mean, hmm. it's all right. I mean, I assume no one's watching along with this podcast. We can skip forward. Um, <laughs> okay. He um, he he got. <laughs> 
the KGB stole the plans. Ah, uh, okay, for right. The gu- so, because <clears throat> in the yeah. next scene, we find out that the Russian satellite has got the same guidance system as Space Lab, and they're Sky like Lab. Oh, yeah. Sky Lab, yes. Yeah, like, American, that was the American space station. They made like nine of those or something, and they just kept falling down. Which is a uh, people don't mention <laughs> that very much. But the like, Russian Mir stayed up there for. 20 years, something like a really long time. Well, now we know why. Because <laughs> yeah. they nicked yeah. the good plan. Because um, what's supposed to happen is at, at some point during the 80s, I guess, the KGB stole the plans for this guidance system from directly from James Cromwell's private collection of guidance system plans, which we've yeah. all got one. I remember as a kid, I used to roll up copies of guidance plans under my bed and knock one out. Um, <laughs> but it was the 80s, though. He probably did just carry a briefcase of like, paper stuff around with yeah. him. That's what they... And that's what he's trying to cover up, even though it's like this sort of thing was always happening in the 80s. You, didn't get, you yeah. did not get held accountable. It doesn't matter at all. He, it sets it up like James Cromwell sold it to the Russians, mm. which is not what happened at all. So there's, there's a whole conspiracy plot line that is not necessary or satisfying. Yeah, well, it doesn't really go anywhere, and also the extent to which he has to go to keep maintain or to maintain this cover is ludicrous. <laughs> the actual, like, he, he gets Clinton everyone involved. There's a whole space mission involved just to cover the fact, ostensibly, that he um, let slip some documents twenty years ago. I think I don't think that's really the best use of resources. Yeah? He said it was me fucked up. Sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. how about we go back to our regularly scheduled programming of astronauts? Yeah, and, uh... I don't see the reason to kill a lot of men in their seventies because I <laughs> fucked up twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, so they, uh, but they spoiler, up, spoiler. Yeah, <laughs> they. Um, so when uh, Marsha Gayharden looks up the plans, she goes, "Wait a minute, this is exactly the same plans in this Russian satellite as there are in um, in Skylab." Uh, and and, and this is the, gives you an idea of the quality of the writing. And I don't mean good or bad, I just mean the nature of it. James Cromwell actually says, what in the Sam Hill does that have to do with anything? No, I mean, no one's... I, I, I've used that phrase ironically. Yeah, it's again, that's what, it seems like one of those only, that's thing that's only ever existed in a film. Yeah. As in, like, I've never seen it in real life. It's like people saying, as you already know. Yeah. It's like, nobody says that. So they look up who designed this uh, the thing, and um, and uh, Jim Trump's like, "Don't bother, it's Clint Eastwood." And <laughs> I'd love if he did that and just dropped card for a second. It's fucking Clint Eastwood, all right. We're fifteen minutes in. We got to introduce the main character. It was Clint Eastwood, uh, and we cut to um, uh, so Clint Eastwood. Obviously, our, our, we kind of established is worked on Daedalus project. But since then, he's clearly been an engineer for, for NASA, and he's now retired, and we cut to him in his garage, struggling to install uh, an electric garage door. Yes, or is he sort of ad-libbing around it? He seems to be... Like... I don't know if he's genuinely struggling. I think the joke is... I don't know what the joke's supposed to be. Like, electric garages are a lot more complicated than Skylab. <laughs> You'd hope not, but, you know... The... More people have died thanks to electric garage doors than Skylab, so... That's that's true, but not yeah. if everyone had a Skylab. I bet the average yeah. would shoot up. Yeah, I guess so. But... Get your own Skylab in your garden. The kids will love it. Yeah. Is it dangerous? This to... Yeah. This seems to defeat the purpose of a space station. Like, up. It does. You want it or not? <laughs> We're going to do these experiments in orbit. You don't need to. We've got a Skylab down the road. Everyone's got one. 
Uh, well, you've, you've, you've solved the wrong problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have it's we? Because they are selling very well. Yeah. The lack of stations wasn't really the problem. It was a lack of stations in orbit, which was kind of integral to our space plans. But hey, the, the who am I, I to f- judge? <laughs> the thing I find very interesting about the scene where he installs an electric garage door is it gives him an erection. Okay, um, I, I can't say I, I caught that, but... Uh... Well, he it seems to make him horny. Uh, oh, yes, of course, yes, it does. Because um, I, yeah. and <clears throat> I, I reckon at that age, you need to make sure the system's working before you start engaging anything. <laughs> so true. I'm assuming the erection yeah. comes first at that age. Yeah. Actually, in my notes, I say, oh, Clint gets frisky. It's, it, it's very much a, yeah, frisky, I think, is the right word here, because it's, no, it's kind of... Wholesome in a way as well. It's him and his wife, who is like sort of, of a similar age. So I, I've written that as well. He installs an electric resort, which makes him horny for his thankfully age-appropriate wife. <laughs> yeah, they look like a, again. They look like a very normal, acceptable couple. Acceptable. That sounds horrible. But no, Clint has previous with that. You know, he's in. I mean, was it the mural? He had a threesome at age ninety. It's not like he's above such things. Um, no, he was in the middle <clears> of it on that one and below some <laughs> of the time. Um, um, he, they switch positions a lot. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, but he, it's, he's just basically starts getting get it on with his with his wife uh, on the um, on the uh, uh, the dryer in the uh, in, where he's in the garage. Potentially, and, it seems. And then she jokingly <laughs> acts like it's an assault, which <laughs> yeah, which isn't great. But she seems no. to be joking. But as a result of that, we move on a plot point because um, Marsha Gay Harden and the head engineer for NASA are standing outside, uh, and they found the remote control for the garage door. And they've opened the door because they thought there was an attack happening. Um, and we move on. Um, and and they, ex- they explain, they, they go in, they have a nice cup of tea, and they explain <clears> the, <throat> the problem with this um, satellite, this Russian satellite that is um, de- decaying. And they explain to him what's happening by showing um, a blueprint of the guidance system and pointing at any random line <laughs> and saying, we think the problem's there. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure that works. In here's a blueprint of the station, and your guidance system is software, so it, we think it's here. And that, that, you know, as, as my understanding, software doesn't actually operate on like a physical basis like that. But no, I, I'm, I think, I'm not I an think, engineer. So I assume I think he said something about this is where we think the power is okay. failing. Um, it's like, and if that's all it is, and he pointed a line, it's, it's probably the wire that's gone. Every time. <laughs> Wiggling yeah. it or replacing it. <laughs> Take the batteries out, breathe in them a bit, put yeah. them back in. <laughs> give them a rub. It's cold up there, mate. <laughs> we need to. We need to basically. You're gonna send an astronaut up there, give it a wiggle, and then move on. Um, uh, but I, and then uh, Clint Eastwood gets angry at the fact that uh, yeah, how how did a, how did my guidance system end up on a Russian satellite? And we don't get an explanation for the last two minutes of the film, but and he doesn't ask again. He doesn't ask again for the rest of the film. Goes, yeah. We don't know. All right, fair enough. Then that he finds and he and he doesn't really want to help, uh, especially when they say. Um, well, he, he brings it up because yes, you know if you if you if you know what you're doing, stay away from a guy called Gerson. And they're like, oh, 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 oh. Um, <laughs> uh, we actually work for him. He goes, and then I hope the satellite lands on his house. Um, yeah, it's not the most scathing one liner, is it? It's uh... well, it's a PG, I'm sure. Because oh, yeah, so. he's a cunt. All right, fair enough. <laughs> All right, we got it. We got it. <laughs> um, and he basically, uh, because it's because it's very classically written this script. That is the um, that is the hero's call, 
and he refuses the call because he has to because that's what they teach you in film school. Yes. And uh, the en- as he's yeah. leaving, the engineer guy says, "You know, it's true what they say about you. You're not a team player," which is yeah. sassy. Yeah, he's going, get out. <laughs> I gave you lemonade. <laughs> was it iced tea? It's a bit more pricey, that, isn't it? It was iced tea, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I got a pretty good retirement plan. It's iced tea. Um, <laughs> and, and it cuts to the kitchen, and it's actually iced tea making the iced tea. That's how good <laughs> he's loaded. Um, so he, he's, he's told him to get bent, uh, and then... Usually what happens in these films is something else then happens to make the hero realise yeah. he has to help. Well, <coughs> this, the equivalent of that is he goes to his shed as a beer and looks over the guidance system plans and goes, yeah, you should probably fix that, actually. <laughs> I think it's then he has the idea that I could fix this, as in it's me who should go there, and therefore this is a way to finally get into space. <clears throat> I can sort of see the logic of it, but yeah, there's, there's no actual indication that he's had a revelation or no. changed his mind. He's, he's, he's in a beer. Has. And it's, it's, a beer. Light, yeah, he's, it's a light yeah. beer. I'm having a light beer now. I'm not getting any fucking ideas above yeah. my station, I'll tell you that. But he's in his 70s, you know, maybe that's all it takes. Yeah, but yes, that's when you're 70 or if you're 14, <laughs> if you're having a beer, you start thinking, I could go to the fucking moon, you know. <laughs> I'm going to go to the, I'm going to climb this tree. Um, so the next morning off he heads to NASA and he just he just turns up at Marcy K. Harden's door you can't you can't walk into NASA I'm pretty sure you can't we know for a fact he was never a member of NASA that's sort of the whole point of that opening sequence yeah it's not like you are not from NASA he's not like the former head of NASA going have you got ID Um, yes my picture on a fucking wall mate oh come on in then he's just yeah you must you must know who I am I was an engineer here for eight months in 1986 Um, you do need an appointment mate (laughs) also remember me it's me I was I was the guy with the chimp (laughs) just like Remember, the, remember, the, yeah, the remember I turned up and I, I had a fight with a chimp because he took my job? Oh, wait, I do remember you. Yeah. Get out. And then, and then you drove around with that chimp doing, like, boxing contests or something? Was that you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't talk about that. That would be amazing if it turned out it was the prequel. <laughs> so that at first... They don't get on because the chimp took his job, but then they end up opening a Midwest arm wrestling business. Yeah. He drives around trying to get him laid constantly for, for, for reasons unknown. Oh, any which way but... Um, space. Uh, space. <laughs> space. Oh, I would watch that a hundred times over quite easily. That's, a, that's actually interesting because I, I, he is due another special effects film. Because he said when he did this... Because I don't know if you famously he works really quick. He does thirty-five to forty camera setups a day, which if you've oh, ever okay. been on a TV or a film set is mental. Yeah, um, you know one or two, and there's nowhere near that many. So and and on this he was doing two or three a day, and he was going berserk, right? <laughs> and then on the second day of that he was getting really agitated, and he went out for lunch with his like editor, and he goes, "No, no, remember why I said I'd never do another one of these fucking things after Firefox." And the editor was like, well, that was 20 years ago. And he goes, yeah, I'm not doing one for another 20 years. So we are due. <laughs> we are due Clint's next film. Imagine. Wait, wait is that what the, was that the, the threesome scene? Was that like all CGI or something? <laughs> I feel like it might have to be. I don't know. I think he's still got it. I think now's the time for him to do any which way but space. Right? <laughs> yeah, that could be, that be amazing. Imagine after the career he's had. Because he's 90, you know. <laughs> I'm just going to say, he hasn't got that long left. Imagine the last film he made was an <laughs> yeah. arm wrestling monkey space movie <laughs> yeah. from the director of Unforgiven. <laughs> yeah. Quite a swan song. <laughs> um, 
<coughs> so he, um, uh, so him and James Cromwell have a bit of a fight. They go in. They have a bit of a row. It's nice to see hmm. proper old school actors having a bit of a row hmm. in a film. Uh, and I will say now, I think Cromwell I've always really liked. I just think him, he just got that sort of default credibility about him. He's got, you know, he, he plays loads of different parts. He was in like Star Trek as Zephyr Cochran, really. But um, I, just, I just that, and also the, the farmer in Babe. So <laughs> he's got range. He's yeah, he's fantastic. Kind of, He's kind of a cranky old guy all the time, but he's still really good at it. So, yeah, just shout out of Cromwell there. I never felt he got the, the, the kudos he's doing, even though he's in, like, pretty much everything, mainstream stuff too, like, you know. Oh, yeah, he had a, he's had a hell of a career. And he's looking the same age since Babe. That's the yeah. weird thing. <laughs> Him and uh, Ben Kingsley, you know, they sort of just <laughs> hit a point and stayed there forever. Absolutely. <laughs> in fact, the one film I've seen of Cromwell, I was talking about this the other day, he was in a movie called Murder by Death in 1976. And in that, even though he is, he looks younger, he doesn't actually look like a young person. He looks like <laughs> no. present yeah. day James Cromwell yeah. in heavy makeup to look young. Yeah, he said, yeah, like he, he looked like this forever, but he had to pretend to be young for a while. When, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so otherwise people got suspicious that he was actually a vampire or yeah, something. That is a possibility. Yeah. Now that's a movie. <laughs> Cromwell, Kingsley, Stuart. <laughs> oh, God, what if James Cromwell is the original Cromwell? <laughs> He's <laughs> got a bit lanky since. As hiding in plain sight, that is. Like, yeah, the bigger the lie, the more they believe it. Yeah. I, I don't know why Cromwell. Also, he's Welsh now. Fucking hell. Yeah, he's like five, he's 500 years old. He's probably been everything by this point. Yeah. He's got range. Yeah. Um, basically, so they have a bit of a row, and he says um, he's willing to help, but Frank's like, uh, Frank, who is Clint Eastwood, because he always plays. He also, for about 15 years, he only played characters called Frank. Clint Eastwood. What's that Oh yeah, Frank. Frank. Um, he's Frank in, in in Line of Fire, wasn't he? Yeah, Frank in that. He's yeah, he's Frank in tons of stuff. He was Frank for a while, um, <laughs> and he's become as he's got older, he's more Jimmy's and stuff like that now. Yeah, got a Jimmy vibe. Yeah. Um, uh, so he says basically, the only way I'm going to help you is if we get the uh, the team back together, and then we have the obligatory getting the team back together montage, montage thing. Yeah. Um, so. Um, <laughs> and Cromwell says to him, "All right, okay, fine, but your guys have to meet the exact physical requirements of today's astronauts, who yeah, are in their twenties and early thirties. <laughs> yeah, and are the best trained people on Earth. Yeah, and I feel like Cromwell, had, you know, his thinking was, there's no way they're going to meet that standard. And I, I got to be honest, that's probably a very fair, fair assumption because there's no way they would in, well, any, in any sensible world. And this, it was this point in the script that um, Clint Eastwood was like, oh." Well, yeah, I have problems with this script because that's bollocks. <laughs> and then, two or three months after he said, this is bollocks, uh, something happened. And John Glenn, who was at that point 77, w- went into space. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. In I, <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say, as in... Uh, what was it, um, yeah, so, like, generally, the people who are, who are astronauts are, like, the cream of the crop because you know, they're only, what... A dozen astronaut slots every year, and like half the planet wants to be an astronaut, so they can pick from the, you know, the best of the best, the cream of the crop, and you know the, the more physically adept you are, the better. But I don't think it necessarily, you know, it's not a case of you will die if you're not in tip-top physical shape when you go into space. So, yeah, so there is a wiggle room there for that. But it's a case of, yeah, I think if you if you expect them to meet the physical standards of like, the twenty-something astronauts, they, they wouldn't just because. No. 
because physics and stuff. Yeah, I, I th- and the thing about specifically the John Glenn, because it was John Glenn going up there is yeah. at least we go, oh, it's, it's, it's believable then. The thing about the John Glenn thing was, is um, the reason he was going up was because it was literally a study in how space travel and aging were related. Yeah, so they had totally. to have an older person go up. Yeah. Um, and and the thing was, for a 77-year-old, he was in really good shape. But the only reason he had to be in good shape was it's it's only if, if something goes wrong that they have to be physically adept enough to be able to get the fuck out. Yeah, totally. Because like, there's, there's no safety features. You can't just like stop the car and get out. You have to... There's no paramedics come in. So <laughs> you yeah. can't really risk any sort of physical def- defects, for want a better term. So yeah, we, I, I get it. It's totally fine. I don't think this is a deal-breaker of a film. But it's like... When Cromwell says you have to meet the standards of the, uh, the younger astronauts, then he's pretty confident in saying that they wouldn't because they can't. And fair play, they do make that clear going forward. It's uh, oh yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, it's very much acknowledged. They're an absolute physical shambles. So like, we, <laughs> we meet James Gunn, who's now a priest. Hmm. Um, I'm sure a very good one, but he doesn't really jogs much anymore. Yeah, but also he's not a very good priest because he starts his sermon. And he's just dropping his notes. It's like it's like it's his first day on the job, even yeah. though it's best why he's been doing it for years now. But then he sees Clint and starts talking about space, and he eases back into it. I I, I can't remember. But he goes back backstage at the priest theatre. <laughs> I think what I mean is church. Um, <laughs> vestry is mean. Vestry, and they have a yeah. chat, and uh, and he and he, he stops with the priest for a second because he's like, "Do you want to go to space?" And he's like, "Fucking yeah!" And hail Satan or whatever he says. <laughs> Uh, and then he goes to see Donald Sutherland, who's a roller coaster engineer. He's testing a roller coaster when we meet him, mm. and he, he, he's making voice notes for himself as he's on the roller coaster, going, "Ah, oh, that bit, that should be more of a dip." And like, it's too late now. It looks like you've built the roller coaster. I think <laughs> game over there, mate. This is a bit. It's a bit. That's very much a feature, feature creep guy, isn't it? You can't really do that with a. If it's yeah. an app, maybe, but it's yeah. a roller coaster. They don't, yeah. Um, I do like that they actually, apart from Garner, who is. Um, I guess you could argue some parallels like him and I don't know what Clint's doing really, but Dan Sutherland and Tommy Jones, they both got them very much <clears throat> if you can't be an astronaut, what would you do? If you know if you're suited to be an astronaut, if you're in that sort of world but you can't do it, or you design roller coasters, you do stunt flying and stuff. But have you ever read any um uh, Stephen Baxter books? Um I haven't actually, no. No, I went through a spit with me. He's he's a very good writer, but he goes really hard into the science and stuff. And he's kind of a, quite a sort of negative author. He doesn't like people very much. He's destroyed Earth multiple times in his books. But in his bio at the start, it always says uh, Stephen Baxter is a doctor of mathematics and so on and so on. And um, and he he once tried out to be uh, an astronaut uh, at NASA, but didn't meet the cut. So he became the next best thing, a science fiction writer. I think I wouldn't say that's necessarily one step down from astronaut. But you know, a lot of his books are include a long and very angry uh, tirades about how crap NASA is and how it's bureaucratic and stuff. So you, I don't think he's over it yet. <laughs> uh, then we meet. Uh, oh, also, he's. It doesn't really come up. Oh, it does for a couple of gags. But Donald Sutherland mm. is blinds a fucking bat. It does seem he's got very thick like coke bottle glasses. Yeah, um, and he's a and he's a shall we say a a Lothario. He's a proper horn dog, which leads yeah. to again. I, I the trouble with Garner. And Sutherland is, they, they're wonderful in it, but they don't really have much to do. They're essentially mm. supporting comic characters, really. Yeah. Um, so they set up qualities to these characters that really don't pay off other than as punchlines later on, which I'm not complaining about because everyone looked like they had a whale of a time. Yeah, looks like um, they had a great laugh. Um, yeah. And then we get to Tommy Lee Jones, who really is the second lead in the movie. 
Uh, he is a retired... Um, uh, he stayed in the Air Force, so he's a retired Air Force pilot. He's now a crop duster, and he, when we meet him, has just been hired by a local twat. <laughs> yeah, he does come across as a, a likable guy, this guy. He does, I, guess just, I can't remember the name of the actor, though, who plays this. He's like 20, it's his birthday. He goes, I want to get, get scared. I want to shit my pants. I want to get, get in the crop duster. And, he, and then so Tommy Lee Jones basically takes him up, flies him around, freaks him out, and he pukes <laughs> everywhere. So he uh, mops down the plane, and you can tell he's a nice guy because the guy, the guy who's he's just made vomit, his girlfriend's there, and he he made, even though the guy shit himself in the plane basically and vomited, <laughs> he's like, boy, you're the bravest guy I ever had, and he's like, and he just makes a big deal of it so he can go off to his girlfriend and be impressed by it. Mm. So we know that Tommy Lee Jones is a nice guy, and then we have <coughs> just a wonderful scene where Clint Eastwood comes up, and he uh, while he's cleaning the vomit, he just hears Clint Eastwood come up behind him and goes, you know what the worst day of my life was. Nope. And it's just, and there's no pausing. He doesn't turn around or anything. He just goes, nope. And he, he talks about the day that, uh, was it the, the first man on the moon? Or was it the yeah, first Armstrong, man in space? Yeah. It was Armstrong. Yeah. And, uh, he's, and he says, um, I must have been the only guy in the world who wanted to commit suicide that day. Which seems much. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Tony Jones goes, well, you know what? It's been twelve years since I saw you, but uh, you finally answered the question I was wondering, which was what what, what would make you commit suicide? <laughs> yes, it's a wonderful bit of like I, I think I met, met you saying that is a beautiful line. Like twenty years we since we last spoke, and uh, the only thing that's been kept <laughs> kept me going is wondering what what I can do to make you commit suicide. <laughs> it's, like, it's it's a lovely thing, hell. and they they both play. It's just this is one of those like almost every scene in this where which just the acting. When we get into the effects stuff at the end, not so much, but most of it is just. World class actors just bringing their A game to, yeah, I'm gonna say, kind of, it, isn't it? yeah, in terms of the yeah. writing and other things, it's kind of a B movie. Um, <laughs> it's almost like, like this, 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 the script itself is like, we just need an excuse to get all these guys interacting. Yeah. This'll do, yeah, it's yeah. fine, it's not bad. It's just like, yeah, that's that's fine, it's not why we're really here, really. It's just to see these guys doing their bands and stuff, yeah, and and it's. Uh, yeah, they clearly had a wheel of a time. He shot this. The the earthbound scenes, Clint Eastwood shot this even for him, for him very quickly. There was times <clears> apparently where Donald Sutherland was like, "Okay, so that's the rehearsal. Uh, let's do it for real." And Clint was like, "No, I, we filmed that. <laughs> uh, that was that's pretty much what I wanted. Let's just move on." And like people won't know that they were acted in a Clint Eastwood movie, and, and then they go, "Okay, let's change the cameras around." What? Because <laughs> he just like he just loves the energy of that first shot. Also, he wants to be finished by five. Yeah. Which people talk about him like, oh, he just loves the energy of you know those first couple of takes and the realism of it before you start overthinking it. No, it isn't. He wants to be owned by five, right? <laughs> He's got dinner on the table. <laughs> um, but frisky wife. And a, and a, a frisky wife. He's got a frisky wife for a fish dinner. If he's not owned by half past five, he'd have a grump. Um, <laughs> Um, but, but everyone's so good in it. It, it doesn't matter. Mm. And basically, he says, um, "There's, a, there's a, actually, I was, I, I did slightly well up in this scene because um, Tommy Lee Jones says, Tommy Lee Jones tells him to fuck off, and he doesn't want to go to space. Uh, and then he says, give my love, to, give my love to your wife.' And Clint Eastwood says, hey, give my love to your wife too.' And Tommy Lee Jones says, "Wish I could, Frank, but she up and she up and died on me." <laughs> Um, yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, that's actually because because he, he acts with his eyes. I was like, oh, okay, that's actually yeah. lovely, and it's obviously very important later on. Hmm. 
Tommy um, Jones does that a lot. He's really, you know, he's eye acting this. He's acting. I mean, we thought about that. Like he's got this wistful, faraway look a lot of the time. He looks sad at the right moments. He's just—it's not something I've even thought of before. But he's just really good at it, acting with his eyes and stuff. And but I will say, given how this, you know, this this script has been by the numbers so far, I think his wife's dead. I'm thinking, well, he's probably going to die then, isn't he? That's that's how this tends to go. He's yeah, the one, yeah. yeah, which which is fine. But like, so, oh, I, I guess he's—you know—they've established quite early that he's a. Uh, Sad and has nothing, nothing to really live for beyond you know, making stuff. making local <laughs> idiots vomit. <laughs> yeah. But that's not a way to live your life. Yeah. Also, in this, did you? Um, <clears throat> I, I got the impression that, and maybe it wasn't in the original script, script or draft, but Tommy Lee Jones is basically playing an actual cowboy for much of it. He's always got a cowboy hat on. He talks. He got one down on me, and he's he's yeah. very um, very cliched cowboy vibes. I think maybe purely to justify the title or. Maybe, but if you, if you've seen the right stuff, um, there's a lot of that anyway. There is a, there is a kind of, of a Western hmm. attitude to like it is the final frontier, but but he's properly like full ten gallon <laughs> at like yeah he dresses like Sam Gerard. <laughs> there are a lot of crazy shirts in this as well. Yeah, there are because they're because they're essentially Florida retirees in space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they dress like retirees, which is really quite a nice touch, I think. Um, so that's it. The, the band is all back together at this point, and, um, yeah. and Tommy Jones just shows up again, doesn't he? So, he just um, shows up again. Yeah, yeah. exactly uh, the same as Clint. Then he, he refuses the call, and then goes, "Actually, no, I'm going to yeah. do it," and then yeah, just pops up. So. He just probably he just turns up. He, Clint Eastwood goes back to the bar where the other two are waiting. He goes, hey, "He's not coming because he's a fucking asshole." And I, I wish he was fuck that guy. And then Tommy Jones <laughs> happens to be sitting behind him. Well, Frank is, and then and then they're all basically friends. Um, <laughs> And then yeah. we cut to one of the weirdest moments in a Clinton Eastwood film. Um, NSYNC starts playing, <laughs> yeah, which does, I, I had to look up. Um, <laughs> I don't know the name of this. I think it's called Space Cowboys, actually, by NSYNC, uh, okay. which uh, as they arrive at NASA, nice little montage. And it's, um, I imagine the day Clinton Eastwood had at work. Okay, let's find the exact <laughs> right song for this. And he's just going to listen to all sorts of shit that is not his <laughs> cup of tea at all. What if we just played Miles Davis? No, it's got to be upbeat. No, God damn it. But uh, they, they turn up at NASA, and then we catch Vostok, the, uh, the the Russian general, and Cromwell having another secret chat. Um, <laughs> that and there are allusions to there will be personal and grave consequences if the satellite crashes, because um, at the moment it's only going to affect Russian civil war, as far as we know. Yeah. Um, uh, and basically, it just says uh, Cromwell again reiterating the stakes of the thing. Cromwell wasn't in the Clinton. The gang will manage to be healthy enough to go up into space. Um, also, just a, probably worth pointing out that at this point in time, at the time the film came out, and you know, the previous few decades, maybe not so much now, but a lot of Americans thinking, well, if we don't do this, the Russians could end up at civil war with each other. Like, okay, that's not necessarily something we're particularly bothered about. I know we're meant to be friends now, but. Yeah, I, I can see some Americans going. That's that's fine. We don't really. Yeah. I mean, in really in the scenes, issue, like no one yeah. at the table give, gives a fuck. <laughs> yeah, like, true. Yeah. Uh, and like, good, because <laughs> we've heard about this new ex-KGB Colonel Putin, <laughs> and he sounds like trouble ahead. <laughs> um, um, so we have another meeting in a boardroom. And it's uh, and um, there's there's basically it's more of the conspiracy sort of thread <clears> through <throat> something's going on. They have another meeting. William Devane says, "Well, why? 
what's this thing with the satellite anyway? Seriously, because uh, why why don't you just grab it? And James Cromwell says, uh, "Oh, that's um, because it's just it's too big. It's yeah. very partridgey. Not in the way he says it, but just, it's yeah. uh, it's too big. <coughs> it's an extender." <laughs> Is this satellite high or low? It's uh, <laughs> it's middleish, isn't it? Yeah, it's middleish. <laughs> and William Devane, yeah. you can tell his eyes are just like well, this is a bunch of bollocks. Um, <laughs> and there's yeah. suspicions that coming out. He's really suspicious mm. about how the guidance system from Skyland, uh, Skyland, <laughs> the <laughs> theme park in space, um, <laughs> how Skyland ended up on uh, this Russian satellite, uh, and he's like, right, because he, he doesn't seem keen on. Clint would either, but we don't know no. why. He just doesn't like him. <clears throat> yeah, he seems to be sort of a belligerent sort of, uh, you know, like a sort of drill sergeant type of. It's my job to be a bit of a dick to everyone, which is fine. But it's, you know, it doesn't really. It doesn't seem targeted. It doesn't seem like there's any particular reason for no. his beef with them. So I don't know if there's but, any yeah. scenes missing, but he just seems to be yeah. yet another person who doesn't like you. Like, I feel like William Devane's great, and I love him, and I'm glad he got the work. But he just is like a spare James Cromwell. Mm. In fact, yeah, he thought, even yeah. says in this scene, he goes, if there's anything I don't like about this, if you aren't exactly at the scratch <coughs> and pulling the plug. It's like, we know, clearly she's going, yeah, he, Cromwell told us that half an hour ago. Why are you reiterating the sticks? We know we've got to be in shape. We know you've set up our doing a montage in about five minutes of us trying to get in shape. Now, piss off. Yeah, and there's no actually, towards the end, he becomes, like, he's on their side, and there's no actual moment or revelation which makes him do that he's just like yeah. because the, because they're in space now and i'm in charge i'm i'm on there which, which makes sense it just again once so a regular thing of this like people change their minds for no obvious reason you can think of reasons they don't, they don't there could be some quite robust internal logic but it's never shown which it's not normally a problem it's not really a problem here but it's it's it's, it's a recurring thing yeah. which is a mild distraction um and he says to him right so i'm going to send you up with two of my guys uh, Ethan, who's a brown nosing snot, uh, <laughs> Roger, who's a cocky little shit. So he, he doesn't seem to be a big fan of astronauts in general, this <laughs> no. guy, considering he's mission <laughs> controller. Um, but uh, in fact, the, the, also, this is the first time we find out that they're going to take other guys up with them, which suggests that before this meeting, there was just going to be the four of the, the old boys going up on their own, even though they haven't ever oh. flown a space shuttle and they have to learn in That's, five weeks. Yeah. Like yeah, that was Clint's main thing, as in like, I haven't got time to teach you how to do my code and how to do my fixing, so I've got to go up and I've got to take my team with me. All right, fine. There's logic to that. <laughs> Have you got time to learn how to fly a space shuttle? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it takes less time than to rewire a computer. So no, it's like yeah, logically they would have to. It makes logical sense, but yeah, it hasn't mentioned, been mentioned before now. Uh, but there we are. There's, there's, that basically takes us into the the second act uh, of the film, which is opens. Uh, I'm going to say, I, I think I'm right in saying this, structurally we are now into the second act where everyone knows what the stakes are and everyone's on board, now we're into the plot and we launch into the second act with a close-up on James Garner's puckered anus. <laughs> I feel like it's more the buttocks than the anus, but yes, the the, the point It's in frame, remains. it's all in frame. I don't want to give you the impression that it's it's like the star film from the end of 2001. It's not like that, but it's... It is on the ass. Um, <laughs> a lot of CGI we got into that. And yeah, the, James Garner's ass cost fourteen million dollars in this film. Because um, yeah. it pans out uh, from from his ass <laughs> to the four of them completely nude, and it's not body doubles. You can tell. Yeah, they're they're weathered. <laughs> at, at first, I thought there was there was a visual effect because because. Um, 
Clint Eastwood's tan line is so marked. Right? <laughs> he is from the waist up. He looks. He's like. Uh, what's the name of the guy? George. God. No. The other guy with a tan. You know George. <laughs> he was an actor in the seventies. George yeah. Hamilton, right from the waist okay. up, he's George Hamilton. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. his ass looks like like he's got a Welsh ass, right? <laughs> it's white, it's milky, right? It's in ship. I'll say this about him: he was seventy <clears throat> making this film, <clears throat> taut. You could yeah. you could eat your dinner off it, not it. <laughs> that's, that's not my prerequisite for eating my dinner for ass. <laughs> well, I'm just is saying. It, is it firm? That's all I care about. What I would. All I'm going to say is this, right? If of, if you've got to eat your dinner off someone's arse of those four, you got that one looks most like a plate. Right? The rest valid, of them, valid. at least two of these, like Garner's especially, looks like a pink omelette, right? <laughs> mm. <clears throat> we don't need. This. And then they, there's a lovely gag here where the a lady doctor comes in, and um, three of them cover up, and Donald Sutherland doesn't. <laughs> he just looks her dead in the eye with his cock out. <laughs> and she digs it because she yeah. looks. She just. Mm. She just looks down at it for like a while and smiles. <laughs> incredibly unprofessional. <laughs> yeah, I thought. But you know, he started it, I suppose. If you want to be that argumentative about it, but um, yeah, we get. Like I say, him and Garner don't have much to do. But what they, well, Donald Sutherland is like him being a ladies' man is nodded at and referenced quite a lot. Whereas Garner being a reverend. Comes up once in the talk show later, and there's never oh, they make him do a prayer as they take off, but it's not really a thing, is it? It's not, um, no, it's not, not really. really. I'm not sure yeah. what the jokes would be in that one, but hmm. dirty yeah, this is, old this is, sods is always funny. Yeah. <laughs> this is 2000 America, um, Clint Eastwood's quite a firm Republican director, so I imagine he wouldn't be particularly cool about it. Uh, and he is very firm, if I can just say again, he's very firm in this film. We have, uh, we have a scene, this is another running game, <coughs> most of the. The next, I would say, hour is montage of one yeah, type or another. And I, I, I found this quite surprising. Like, oh, they, they do take quite a while. To get, I know it's you know, it's important to show the character development and the interaction, but the space part of this film, it's it's mostly cowboy for the first like hour and twenty. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it just reminds me of like it's all variations on training, and there's some little bits and pieces about character development, but generally it whips past for an hour. There's a running gag every time um, somebody talks to Dominique Jones, they'll mention a name, and he goes, yeah, how's that guy doing? And it's like, well, he just died. And it's like, oh, Christ, every time. And he, he plays it really lovely, and he just does it again. He, the, the, the lady doctor who came in, it turns out he knew her father. How's he doing? He passed away. I, oh, God. All right. And he, but he plays it lovely every single time. Um, then there's a... Uh, we go out there in the gym because they've got to be in physical shape. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is... Doing, he challenges some of the younger astronauts <laughs> to a weightlifting competition. And he does it by having James Garner pretend to spot him. But he, in fact, he's lifting half the weight. Yeah. And it looks like James Garner really did it because he goes a funny colour. <laughs> he does. He was already quite a funny colour, but then he goes a different funny colour. Again, I, I did like the fact that they, they lampshaded it uh, beforehand uh, when they were doing the, the running training. And like James Garner saying, I haven't run for like 30 years. Although Don Sullivan says, I'm an engineer. I haven't run since Nixon was president. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is going to kill me. He said, that's the whole point. Like, if you have heart attacks, we'll have a heart attack right on Earth. Because <laughs> 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 oh, that's actually really self-aware and stuff. And that is something I actually was surprised at this because <clears throat> I'm not a... You know, I know Clint Eastwood. He's, a, you know, he's, he's an iconic person as you could, you could ever... Hope to think of, but I, I, he's always seemed to be a, such a such a serious guy. You know, he takes himself deathly seriously when he's 
being a bit you know, weird and stuff. Even like the films which are a bit more light, like you know, like uh, the stuff I've seen. But in this one, he does show a little bit of a you know a bit of a chink in the army. He does seem to make you know he, he ends up being a hero and everything, but. It's a bit of fun. He's poking fun at his age and his yeah. belligerent stuff. So it, it, it humanised him a bit, which was quite nice to see, I thought. I think, of, certainly as a director, this is the closest to a straight-out comedy he directed, mm. I would say. Because there's, I mean, like the next scene, there's a scene after they've been working out where um, uh, Marsha Gay Harden is waiting for Clint Eastwood and on top of it, she's waiting specifically for Tommy Lee Jones to come out of the shower room. And Clint Eastwood comes out and goes, oh, you can just go straight on in there. It's fine. <laughs> she wouldn't. And that's insane. But it doesn't matter. He walk, and she walks in, sees uh, Tommy Lee Jones's, again, wang. A lot of wangs. They're very wang proud. And that, I think that's very nice. Um, and and um, basically, she, oh, this is a ridiculous moment. This is something that would never happen. She, she, she's seen his dick accidentally. And she gets flustered and horny. And she goes, I, I just uh, wanted to tell you that they've changed the uh, the time of your stimulator. I mean, simulator. Uh, like, yeah. You wouldn't. The word stimulator doesn't come up in your head if you see a naked person. <laughs> no. It's not, it's not, I don't know if she's even a word anyway. It's not a casually reference one. I mean, I know she's a you know, high, <clears throat> high, high, high powered uh, technical person, so maybe she, she, she does use that word a lot. But. Yeah, and it's it's a little bit uh, okay. I see what you did there. That's quite nice. Yeah, I, mean, I, um, I cringed a bit at that bit. Yeah, like 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 some sort of, uh, eye rolling. Uh, yes, I see. I see why that happened. Um, have you seen um, uh, basketball? Uh, I, I have actually. No, it's a, it's a, they do that very well. In that, um, Yasmin Bleeth comes in and as it yells them both in the shower. <laughs> but they make it apparent they have gargantuan cocks. <laughs> so she throws these like photographs of evidence on the on the table, and obviously they bare legs, but like sort of like, like from knee to you know, thigh and stuff. But this massive long shaft in the middle. <laughs> but but, she, but she, she's angry. But she can't stop talking about. She's like anyway, long wang. Sorry. Throbbing cock, shit, fuck, <laughs> just run away. It's really quite. Uh, again, they, they take that joke and really run with it. It's, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so like uh, that's my benchmark for that sort of stuff. So this was this wasn't quite up to that. It, I think it, um, it this establishes something that sort of comes in later, but again, isn't really used. <clears throat> but there's 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 a sexual tension. She fancies Tommy Lee Jones anyway. Mm. Um, despite again, he's supposed to be seventy, and she's probably late thirties. Yeah. She looks right, doesn't she? She looks like someone, yeah, you look like, if you, if you told me that this is a woman who's head of NASA engineering or something, Yeah, I would imagine her. Yep, she looks, looks looks pretty much exactly what I think someone like that would look like. So. I talked to somebody the other day and they said, the thing about Marsha Harden is she always looks like she's cut her own hair. <laughs> she which, does a bit, yeah. She, which, yeah. she hasn't got time. She's ahead of NASA. She hasn't got yeah. time to go get it yeah. did. Yeah. Um, it's, it's good casting. Like, they haven't gotten, which they could do. I mean, you can argue that Clint Eastwood did that in... Um, there's a clean and present danger uh, oh, in the line of fire with um, Renee Rooster when yeah. he ends up cop- and she's she looks good as a cop like, but she looks she's a very beautiful young woman whereas Marsha Gahan looks like professional and she, they haven't done they haven't yeah. done like a Denise Richards as a nuclear physicist type thing they have, they've like, it's, it's been a bit of sensible casting yeah I think the cast is very nice for this mm. um, we uh, we then go to the stimulator which is the <laughs> G-Force simulator because yeah, if the centrifuge there, there was <laughs> rules in movies if you if there was if you were taking part in a film that had a G four simulator anywhere near it, you had to fucking film it, right? So like, uh, View to a Kill, of course, uh, with Rogers uh, flapping skin, uh, <laughs> spies like yeah. us had one. Uh, basically, and they so Tommy Johnson clearly would get strapped into this thing, and they have a challenge: whichever one passes out first buys <laughs> the drinks. And 
I don't think they quite determine who it is. They also the the guys in the um, the control room just for fun decided to put it up the top notch just to see what happens. <laughs> There's a lot of unprofessionalism in this between going <laughs> yeah, really. in, between the women yeah. going in the shower blocks and them trying to kill a pair of seventy year old men with gravity. <laughs> it's not because NASA <clears throat> NASA was very involved in this and apparently all that stuff they were absolutely fine with. The part that they made them change was in the original script. The uh, it wasn't a Russian satellite; it was an American satellite. It was a NASA satellite that had weapons on it, and they said, "We, you have to take that out." Oh, okay. That, that, that might be a more intriguing film, to be honest. A bit of, um, you know, a bit of an internal conflict and stuff. That's yeah. And they, I, I like that. And I bet yeah. they said that to NASA, and NASA said, "Well, then we won't be helping you at all." Mm. Yeah. Well, you, can, you can sort of tell because there's so much attention to detail, which I think actually, in the end, is a bit of a disservice. There's so much attention to detail of the space stuff, or the NASA technology that happens, and. Like all the, the the training they go through, all the simulators, or like the, the the underwater zero g practice. I've never been an astronaut. I don't plan to be one, but it all looks so familiar because NASA is such a you know it, space stuff has been in so many films, and you see this a lot. So you know it looks on looks like by the book, and if you know some of the science, like a lot of the physics is and the mechanics is quite accurate. So they seem to have gone to pains to make this. Look as realistic as possible, even though more people have never seen. Oh, they really yeah. Stuff. It, yeah. In terms of the space stuff, there's a lot of attention to detail. In terms of how people actually speak or interrelate, <laughs> yeah. they, they haven't talked to any experts on that one. Yeah, and that's why I think the ending becomes a bit sort of <laughs> what because they've they've been so meticulous so far, making this look as realistic and by the book and accurate as possible, and then. They introduce stuff like okay, and if they hadn't done that, if it'd been if it'd been a bit more sloppy with the you know, the build up, it might have been less jarring when what happens does happen. So, eh, yeah, just a, just a thought going forward for anyone who wants to remake this film. <laughs> Why would they do that? I don't know, but yeah, it did it did pretty well. This film, we go back Sp- mm. Space Cowboys two. Now it's just Clint. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, yeah, so we have and this is where it's, there's a scene next where they're in the bar because this is another thing. It, this kind of feels like an eighties Clint Eastwood movie in this, but because he goes to a bar and gets into a fight with a biker for no good fucking reason, mm. uh, and then him and Tommy Lee Jones end up having a real fight. Just to remind everyone, remember this dramatic tension mm. that we will resolve later. I just didn't want to forget about that. So they get into a bit of a fight in the car park, which is quite nice in the morning. They're back at work, and William Devane keeps seeing him with black eyes. <laughs> is what happened? I uh, slipped in the shower, <laughs> and then moves on. The next bit was a thrill for me because um, I was a huge fan of the Krypton Factor when I was a kid, <laughs> and everyone. The best bit was always the flight simulator, and we're properly in a proper NASA flight simulator, and Tommy Lee Jones is piloting it, and he's having a he's having a dickens of a time because it's got computer aided flight or assistance or landing whatever, and he can't work it. And he said, let me just do it manually. They go, well, no, you can't do it manually because um, you, you can't because you'd crash it. It's a space shuttle. <laughs> he goes, just turn it off. And like, All right. And he lands it perfectly. Yeah, of course he does. Um, yeah. Which I, the confusing thing for me is that he lands it perfectly. And then at the end of the film, he doesn't land it perfectly because he's dead on the moon. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah. so they, they set up that he's going to do it again when it's important. But it's just Clint Eastwood who does it, and Clint Eastwood's yeah. just been sitting in the chair next to him, looking at him. So it should be 
a shot Clint Eastwood going right I better fucking memorise this what he's doing exactly because <laughs> if anyone I know is going to end up dead on the moon it's this lad right um, so I'm not sure why it's set up it's a lovely impressive thing it's nice to see it but it's like yeah. this is not proper storytelling uh, anyway but everyone's very impressed and there's a callback gag here where because earlier on the young astronauts had sent over some um, something called Ensure, which I think is something for mm. old people, like yogurt for old people. Yeah, some sort of bowel thing, wasn't it? Sort yeah, of, uh... it's some sort of a bowel <laughs> thing. And uh, so they send over, uh, when it when they show that they're cool and they know what they're doing, they send over baby food and a kid's book to the astronaut's table. So that's quite a nice uh, moment. Yeah, um, I wonder why that's uh, a readily available item in the NASA cafeteria, but okay. They must have ordered them in. It's like, we're going to fucking have a... <laughs> This is before Amazon as well. They've got, right, does anyone know any good kids' bookshops here? What, in Cape Canaveral? No. No. I might have to go to town for this one then, but pick up some kids' books. I got a joke for these two. Um, baby food as well. That's a baby food. There's probably some of that. There's, there's probably a Robocop's coming, is he? Yeah. <laughs> um, Tony Jones goes on a date with Marsha Gay Harden in the next one. Uh, and. Um, this led to a weird moment for me because he tells a story about the woman, uh, the first woman he ever loved, and he basically um, <laughs> yeah. tackled. He yeah. saw her boyfriend going to there was some sort of festival or like the Royal Welsh Show a, or something. It was, it was a big posh party, and he crashed it. Essentially, that's right. It was a posh party. Yeah. He crashed it, but it wasn't that posh because they've got outdoor toilets. Um, which there's sort of festival toilets and uh, he sees her boyfriend go into one or he thinks he does and he rugby tackles it and it runs, it rolls down a hill and then he hears the scream but it's not the guy's scream, it's the girl's scream uh, and he's tank- and then he, the next day he runs away and joins the Air Force <laughs> yeah. and, and you that think amazing. That, yeah, that should be the end of the story but, and, and Marshall Harden laughs and gives him a kiss and then he looks at her and says Four years later, I married that girl. It's like, don't mention it now. You're snogging. Uh, <laughs> yeah. See, that, that's what I thought. We have some else coming soon, is it? That's why I thought this was going to be the sole thing of why he's, you know, as he said, he ends up dying on the moon. He sacrifices himself. I thought, oh, well, see, he's, he's, his wife is dead. He misses her. He's got nothing to live for. And I thought, oh, well, they set up this romance with her now. But even then he says, four years later, I married her. It's like, oh, so he's still, you know, this is nice for him, but he's not He's not over it. He's yeah. not going to be over it. I thought that would be a nice character beat to make sure why he does this sort of thing but then later on we have something else which comes up too which made it abundantly clear that that's what he's going to do yeah he uh, yeah. and the thing is I don't get the sense that they then go home together either no it's no. weirdly he's just okay well, I'm going to drop you off now but you can come in I don't want to um, <laughs> yeah. you're going to tell me about your dead wife again or you covered in shit once <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you're right I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably drop you off yeah. um I wonder if you've got a feeling like, oh, I bet, he, I bet, I bet they both into it after that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like oh, this guy, God knows where we're gonna go. We uh, we hit the exact center of the film at this point because we've done all the montages we can. So they're like, okay, what's gonna <laughs> what's gonna propel us to the through the second half? A uh, lot of plot points come in really quick now. Um, the like words log gonna... jam, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like, like all the montages like held them up, like. Oh, shit! I hope they fall off. <laughs> yeah. Just so we're splurge. and also they know they've got to get a space soon for the thir- for the last quarter. So they got half an hour to fucking chuck a lot in. So <laughs> first of all, uh, the word about the missions got out that they put a bunch of old guys on the moon. The New York Times has got a headline that says the ripe stuff, which uh-huh. cl- clever, I suppose. Um, they well, I think the headline: the uh, shark escapes from lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to miss that one. I, I love that guy. That you know is... what we're talking about. Describe to John Rain's most Patreon. Otherwise, yeah. it'll make no sense. We definitely. I said this to John when he, he came on and did um, 
uh, the Deadpool. We are definitely crossing the streams now. There oh, is so much. This is like this is like the John Rain podcast shared cinematic universe at this point. <laughs> if you don't get all of it, you miss so many of the jokes. Right. Um, so, uh, we're going to have a mission. Everyone knows about it. Uh, we have another. We actually, I say we've left the montages because of that. We've got another montage, except now they're getting good. Then we cut to a bane in our lives. Mr. Jay Leno has a cameo. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I said, again, another one from Don's podcast, but I mentioned this when we first saw him in uh, Dave, and I said, I have a strong memory of him popping up in loads of films from, like, 90 to 2000. And I think this was one of them. This was one of them I was thinking of, because here they are on the Jay Leno show. The ripe stuff, the Project Daedalus. Yeah, and it feels real. It's filler. It just shows that they're famous now. Uh, oh, it does. it does actually... Um, it is important that they that they're famous in the jail and well, it hasn't got to be jail now, but it's important that they're famous because they can't really fire them now, mm. uh, because they're mm. not in good shape. Because the next scene, of course, is they're gonna have to um, they have to pull Tommy Jones because mm. uh, they found out that he has an inoperable mm. uh, cancer. Pancreatic. Um, Pancreatic can be the worst one. Yes, actually, so for, uh, for, for, for inoperableness. So yeah, uh, again, really accurate. Yeah, I mean, I think they're all you know, like Tommy yeah. Jones is like, I don't even know what a pancreas does, apart from <laughs> kill me in eight months. Well, it's, it's not its main role, but it just <laughs> it's probably the most important one right now. <laughs> yeah, in a screenplay, that's what it does. Yeah. Um, that's uh, uh, basically uh, so. Cromwell says, "I'm enough. He can't go up in space. Uh, you three still can, though." And Clint was like, "Oh, if he doesn't go, none of us are going." And uh, Tommy Lee Jones says, all right, fair enough then. And then Cromwell says, yeah, fair enough then. And that's that's another four yeah, minutes. it's brought up. And then they're like, oh, all right, fine. Christ, that's, I feel like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's like, oh, well, again, I did make a my notes. Um, the whole, yeah, I think it's a valid point. As in, it's a nice little extra momentum, the whole, they're famous now. So everyone, no, they, they've boosted NASA's, um, James Cromwell says to him, like, oh, they've boosted NASA's uh, no, approval rating. They've got their budget increase they were after. So now there's no way you're not going. And but then that, that was a joke from The Simpsons, wasn't it? That's what um, they, they sent Homer and Barney. Well, they were going to yeah, send yeah, Homer yeah. and Barney into space. So like this, and this was before that, wasn't it? This is way before this film. So oh again, yeah, but that would have been mid nineties. Yeah, that was one of yeah. the classic <laughs> era. This <laughs> don't get why. Who gives a fuck about NASA's approval rating? Who's going? Oh, yeah. Who's going? That's it. I'm not voting for NASA next year. <laughs> well, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. like, again, again, I know I get the fact you know, that it's um, you no, know, it's a point of pride for Americans. Like they have NASA, and it's like they they got them into space, so it's a part of their cultural identity and stuff. But it's not like you know, I don't think anyone cares about the minutia of it like that. No. But, um, yeah. but and then we, I mean, that half an hour really, we've just went through that half an hour very quickly. But that's a lot of plot, 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 plot. Jay Leno plot, and yeah. then off they go into space. Uh, and then we mm. we see just as they they get on a bus mm. to go to the space shuttle. Uh, that's, the, that's the next. No, no, it's not quite the last time, but it's it's the next. We haven't seen Clint Eastwood's wife in an hour. No, and she just says to Tommy Lee Jones, "Bring him back alive." And Tommy Lee Jones goes, "Yeah." No. I, 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 I like he's saying, "It's my better judgment." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yes, that's right. Yeah, he does. That, he, he says it with a twinkle in his eye. You know, he, he, he's all about the twinkle in his eye. Yeah, Jones. he's lovely yeah. in it. Yeah. Uh, so they get. Well, that's, I, that's why I thought like the whole cancer thing of. I don't think we needed that. I think it would have been a bit more. Tense, a bit more sort of meaningful if he decided to do it because you know, he's lost his wife and he doesn't want to you know, come back. He's got nothing to come back to. But then they go, also he's going to die. He's oh, well, bound to do it now, then. So yeah. I think it, it takes something away from the sacrifice of you know when he did when he eventually does do it. 
because he's like, it's, well, it's not, he's losing eight months maybe, and he has to go to the moon. So it's not, it's not really. I, I tell you something I've noticed because we've been doing a podcast a week for about 82 years now. <laughs> and I've noticed you getting really uh, more into the minutiae of screenwriting, going, this, <laughs> Absolutely. this needs yeah. cutting, that was unnecessary, this is just <laughs> trim the fat on this. Yeah, I have no idea about any of this for what I talk to you weekly. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I've, I've learned a lot. And. Uh, and how is your PhD coming as well? <laughs> it's good. It's I, I can now it. spell hippocampus, and which is my favourite thing to say. Um, so they get this, they're in the space shuttle. They're in the space hmm. shuttle now. Um, uh, uh, James Garner recites the Shepherd's Prayer, but it's Alan Shepherd's Prayer, the astronaut. Please, God, don't let us screw this up. Uh, and off they go, and we're into, I have to say, special effects territory now for the next half an hour. And yeah. I watched the making of this, and I had no idea how much of the next half hour is, is CGI. No, I didn't. I mean, I, I, I gathered it happily some of it because they can't actually send it's almost into space. But. It's almost all of it. So even bits where you think it's the actors in cos, in, in costumes, when they when they go out the space shuttle, it's proper CGI. It's good is, CGI, then yeah. And, and they've just all they've done is put their faces in, they, they, so they filmed <laughs> their faces and just glued them into the CGI thing. And there's only one bit. I can't quite. I, I watched a bit back, and um, it's Tommy Lee Jones comes out of the space dock, uh, and he's wearing sunglasses, and he looks a bit. That looks like cheap PlayStation. He looks like Duke Nukem in a spacesuit. Yeah. Other than that, they, I think there's a bit I saw as well. I think maybe maybe Clint, but he looks like his head is the wrong size inside the helmet or something. Yeah, there's a bit of that. Yeah. Some of the scales are off, but I didn't really notice mm. until I this making of pointed it out to me. So <clears> they but. Uh, they're not out of, they're not out of space yet because they've they've just got to the satellite and it's uh, it's fucking huge. Yeah, it's it's not a satellite. Clearly, they said it was like fifty tons. I, they mentioned earlier on saying why didn't you just bring it in the shuttle and repair it? Is it it's too big to bring? That that should have been ringing alarm bells already because <laughs> a lot of satellites. I mean, if they're the size of a mini metro, you're, you know, that, that, that's a hefty one. Because like it, putting things in space is not easy or cheap, and it, they, they come to their payload by the down to the kilogram, down to like the down to the ounce. So whatever metric they're using. So, yeah, getting 50 tons up there, someone would have noticed that at some point yeah. since 50 tons is floating around. Uh, mm. And they fly next to it, and it it comes to life. Yeah. It wakes up, and, they go like, and they're like, what's, what's, what's that? And, they go, and somebody goes, uh, it's a weapon. It's a self-defense mechanism. And if it's a... At this point, it does feel like we're in a slightly different movie because there's a, yeah. it's a self It gets a little Star Trek beer. It's like you feel like, okay, shields up. Sorry, mate. It's a space shuttle. We've got that level of realism still going. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but it's um, it, it, it shifts gears in terms of tone as well, like because I think I I want to note like when you have actual real life space stuff, it's it's not like Star Wars zipping around, blasting, chaotic, you know, and screaming. So it's really slow, and meticulous, and they do that really well here. But that doesn't mean for, for fast pace. It makes for like a lot. of tension ratcheting up and it suddenly becomes a vaguely sort of thrillery film it's like oh, it's yeah. getting really tense and atmospheric which is fine but there's been none of that before now like every problem's been resolved within seconds and any personal conflict like how dare you how dare you punch punch all right we're mates let's, let's crack on <laughs> so the stakes haven't been especially high but now it's oh yeah because like, oh, yeah. we find out in a minute because basically everything comes to a head now um 
like I, I've written, what was the plan? What was Vostok and James Cromwell's plan? Like, Thank you, that's right. They on. haven't told anyone what's going on. Like, what's the point? Because as soon as they got there, they're going to go, well, that's clearly not, that's not for Russia to pick up Channel 5, is it? <laughs> yes. Um, don't so Channel 5 that badly. Yeah, it's going to, if this satellite starts to show us Channel 5 civil war, okay, maybe I can see that. Um <laughs> <laughs> it it doesn't look like a Cold War satellite. It, it all does get a little bit Star Trek and much more thrillery, and it's not a complaint. I don't know how else it could have gone. Really, there no, needs no. to be something in the in the you know going into the third act. Um, but but I don't quite <coughs> understand what the, the what the bad guys Vostok and and, um, and Cromwell thought was going to. What was their plan? Yeah, um, it's like it was like Brexit levels. And, oh, just do it and hope for the best. <laughs> well, everyone's going to tell you it's going to be awful. Ah, it'd be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we'll, but, we'll just, just be optimistic and stuff. But, but it's a, yeah, the satellite itself looks really advanced as well. Like it sort of comes to life. That it's wasn't this, built in 1985, was yeah, it? Yeah, like it's got, it's got this advanced code to recognise it's been. But technically, this is Clint Eastwood's code, so you should have known like this. Well, he's the guidance so. system, so I think it would have oh, had okay. a different. I, I, <clears throat> the weapons system would have been done by. Elon Musk. He, 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 yeah, yeah, yes, Elon Musk. The, Lean in. Was, Why not? Actually, it was the eighties. So the, the the weapon system is by Clive Sinclair, which is why it now doesn't work um, or sell very well. Um, uh, so we also find out this is where the really sticks get ratcheted up because we've gone from sticks of like, okay, you're not well. Um, you, yeah. You've started a new relationship. Yeah. There's that. There's ego. There's, these have been yeah. the stakes up until now. Are you gonna Are you gonna pass this physical test? Maybe yeah. I don't know. For an hour yeah. and a half, those have been the stakes. <laughs> yeah. Now we found out that the stakes are: if they don't fix this thing, it's gonna launch nukes on major metropolitan areas. Will Clint Eastwood's ego be preserved, or are six hundred million people gonna die fighting yeah. a fiery nova? Yeah. <laughs> well, that is that's quite a jump. It is a jump, and I, I think yeah. and I think. Usually with films like this, I'm like, oh, what they should have done. But I'm like, you want them to go in space and you want something to happen. I think I hmm. think they've over-adjusted. I think it could have been a much lower stake thing. So It could have been a normal satellite and something hmm. goes wrong. You know, like in Gravity, there could be a meteor strike or something like that. They've gone for, like, fucking space nuclear weapons. Yeah. Okay, again, it could have been exactly an experimental satellite with a nuclear reactor on board. If it erupts in the atmosphere, it could spray fallout over a large area. I mean, these are things which... You know, Again, it's a smaller stakes thing. It's bad, but you can you can see that being a thing. Is it? Oh, Russians were trying to do nuclear satellites back in the day, and we don't want to tell anyone that yet because that's not allowed. Um, there are actually treaties about that. So yeah, so there's one example of yeah, high stakes, but not not necessarily. Yeah, it's a missile platform. We just didn't want to tell you at any point. Yeah, and just and and they've <laughs> sent basically Ethan, who is the the engineer who. Was a bit <coughs> ridiculous. He's from the start movie. He's one of the guys who's gone up with him, and he's he's a little shit. He is a little yes, shit. Yes, he is. Like, he's basically when they find out what it is, they're like, "Well, let's just shoot it into space. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just we'll just use the guidance system, and we'll just boot it away from Earth. It'll be fine." But this little shit sneaks out of the spaceship and locks it behind him, which I don't know you can do. No, I don't you can't. Think you I've can... got that note. You cannot sneak out of a space shuttle. It <laughs> involves five layers of airlocks. And it's about it's like twenty meters long at most. So it's like, where is it? Did anyone just hear the door lock? Was that the door? in a vacuum? No, we didn't. Yeah. Um, it's like uh, every moment you make it shakes the entire ship, which it does. So he buggers off to the satellite to try and fix it as per the orders, and uh, fucks it right up. 
Um, I don't know how. He's, there's a lot no. of... Because there's been quite a lot of scientific accuracy at this point, and now it's things. It's just people screaming at each other in space. Don't do that. It'll <coughs> unfurl the the yeah. uh, transcendental zisters. Yeah. Like, oh, whatever. And one like, thing that's never made especially clear is as to why exactly only Clint can do this. It's an obsolete system. Uh, no one knows how to work it, so he's the only one who can do it, and he won't teach Ethan how to do it, even though he's watching him do it on in the training. At this point, he says, don't connect that to that thing. Like, we, we, it's never established exactly how or why he knows and no one else does or what he knows. Well, the thing so, is, the, the, this, the whole thing that, starts with them going, wait a minute, we've got the blueprints. It's like, well, just read them then. <laughs> yeah, we think, I mean, people at NASA are meant to be a bit clever, aren't they? That's my understanding. Of... Yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, it's my understanding, <laughs> yes, as well. They're, they're all right, those boys. Um <laughs> So they uh, so he goes out. He fiddles with it. He damages it somehow. At this point, it does go very gravity. Bits start flying off the big, the mm. big satellite. It smashes the sat, uh, the space shuttle up a bit. Yeah, um, the big solar sails. They start rotating. And they smack into the shuttle. And yeah, I and mean, this stuff matters in space. You know, like there's no like gravity. There's no air to cushion stuff. It's it, it's good in that. It's a good scene, I think, because it shows. You know, just a bit of random movement in space in this sort of situation can be chaotic and catastrophic. So, yeah, yeah so I think it's well done in that respect. It's, I, I, yes. Oh, I, I, I kind of doesn't matter that I'm not really following what's happening technically at this point. But Ethan, the little shit, ends up basically floating unconscious in space because he gets smacked in the head by <laughs> something flying off repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, new plan Clint <laughs> is going to try and use the, the PAM. Which I had to Google because no one—I don't think they explain what it is in the movie. They just keep going careful with Pam now. And <laughs> well, thank I, you. I didn't. I meant to Google it. I didn't. What is it? Payload assist module. So okay. It's, yeah. it's the. It is part of the guidance system. It's the little jets for um, hmm. for fine tuning um, right, direction yeah. and stuff like that. So they're going to use that to stop the to to push the whole thing away from the space shuttle because they're both kind of floating together now, and to stop the. Weapons silo, the floating weapon silos descent into the atmosphere. Um, so, and, so <laughs> Hawk and Frank go out because they've got to fiddle with it. Uh, so they do a little moonwalk. This is, this is the only part of the VFX looking a little bit shit because for some reason they've got to ratchet it up a bit. So they move a bit. It looks yeah. like Daniel <coughs> in space for a second, which I'm not against. <laughs> That's another one. If you want, if anyone's listening wants to do that, do it. Um, you have our blessing. Yes. So they do what they do. They stop the they stop the descent into the atmosphere. They grab uh, little shit Nathan. He's he's alive somehow. They take him back in the thing. Um, now then, there's only one of the Pams left. Um, so they they haven't. So they can't figure out how to. Oh, they they can't. It's not back in orbit. All they've done is stop the assist, but it's not as yet back safely in orbit. Yeah, it's going to decay again, isn't it? Yes. So, so they haven't, and they haven't got enough power left after you know after it all kicked off for it to maintain orbit. So the plan now is, it has to be driven away from Earth, and the best and and in order to stop it being sucked back by Earth's gravity, it has to go straight towards the moon. Well, <laughs> I don't think it has to be the moon specifically, but. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I think. I think because there's a part earlier on in the film which, because I th I think it's, if it's not towards the moon, then Earth's gravity will keep hold of it. Whereas if they yeah. push it towards the moon, the moon's, moon's gravity, gravity will. will... Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Although That's there's a part fine. early in the film where they say, "There's a there's a kid doing a tour of NASA and says, how um, 
can I hit a baseball to the moon? He says, well, you wouldn't have to hit it all the way. You'd only have to hit it halfway. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, halfway there, the moon would pick it up. Foreshadowing. Yes, but it's, it's completely, that's bollocks, because mm. it's to do with um, the size of the whatever the heavenly bodies are, and Earth yeah. is obviously considerably bigger than the moon, so you have to <laughs> knock it most of the way to the moon before the moon goes, I'll have that. <laughs> if I missed, <laughs> so the science on this is, I, yeah. I think they do. Got, they said you'll never get to the moon. Uh, I don't need to get to the moon. I need to get halfway. Uh, maybe it means halfway is in where the gravitational pulls cancel out. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what they mean in astronaut terms. Maybe like space not, talk. So. What I'm not sure about is why he needs to be because strapped <laughs> to it. I don't think that's ever explained. There's, he makes basically they jury rig a little chair at the front of this nuclear silo uh, for him to <laughs> sit on it. But it's not like he's controlling it. I don't think they've given him joysticks. I think he said uh, he did say Clint uh, Clint Frank has, has hot wired it for you. But it's like again, I, I get what they're doing. I get what they say. I get the sort of the point of the plot here, but. It's my understanding you, you can't ad lib a moon mission. It's not like, <laughs> like if anything is Apollo thirteen told us that like these these calculations are so precise, so like bang on the money. You kind of just just point and click, you'll be fine. But they do that, and therefore, it, it I guess it works. So yeah, so but it's sort of like kind of unceremonious. Like Tommy Jones says, it's, it's him who's flying it off, of course. Saying, okay, give me your. He said, give me all your extra O two canisters. <laughs> so Why? Like, yeah, well, he wants to live to see the moon. I thought, but, I know. <laughs> yeah, how are we going to know? I, I don't know how long it takes. Doesn't it take three days to get from the Earth to the Moon anyway? It takes three days at the Apollo spacecraft speed, which is the fastest vehicles built by human race in. So this Russian satellite with like one functioning all rocket right. probably take the best part of a week to get there. Yeah, all right. He probably needs that O2 then. But also, mm. <laughs> yeah, he thinks that, give me your O2 and I'm going to need some sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to eat for a week. Are you going to read that book? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might not take that. <laughs> also, I mean, after five days, that's that's. Oh, yeah. Imagine, I finally got to the moon. How was it? Well, I it smelled terrible for a start. <laughs> I was up to my ankle. I was up to my knees oh, in my own shit for a start. Yeah. That's the thing nobody's talking about. He has been shitting himself for five days. Oh. He's hungry. <laughs> I just realised at the very end, he has his visor down, and he just that's why, because otherwise, he'd flip it up, he's yeah. just a dead face covered in shit. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody needs that as the last frame of a film. I mean, to be fair, it's a fairly grim last... Oh, it's horrible, yeah. I mean, we'll, if you we'll, think about it, we'll get to it, yeah. We'll pra- I mean, we're practically there. Basically, he... he <sighs> it's... <Right. laughs> basically, he's, he's... He's basically he's jetting to the moon. Right, and there's like so that's sad. I do like the fact that there's no emotional bit. It's not like Frank. I never had a chance to tell you. He says, "Right, strap me to the front of this. I'm fucking off." All right, and <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, that's well, Tommy Lee Jones's arc. Donald Sutherland has a sort of like a sad face moment. No, you can't let him do that. And James Garner does that, but it's it's very brief and yeah. And I, I think it, good in that. Uh, yeah, we, I know. Like this is sad, but we we are kind of in deep shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have got a lot of time to spend on weeping. Yeah, I I, I do like that because there's there's. Is the part I, I, I know it's awful and I, I can be quite sentimental but I do roll my eyes in that bit in Armageddon where he sends Liv Tyler the, the sad message that he's going to yeah, die yeah. <clears throat> and, and I in fact do you know what I've forgotten about this I, I remember watching that with a girlfriend in about 2001 on TV 
Mm. And uh, I rolled my eyes, and she cried her eyes out in that scene, and I broke up with her immediately after all. <laughs> oh my god! I, I haven't thought that of that. Is cold. I haven't thought of that in nineteen years. It's like I was like, no, I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm not. This is not what I've signed up for, and no. I left. Um, I went uh, with an ex of mine to see Pearl Harbor, and she liked it, and we never lasted. And uh, but then um, she's a devout Christian lesbian now, so <laughs> maybe it wasn't just that. And Japanese, which was the other <laughs> issue. Um, she's now Japanese. She converted. <laughs> I, um... God, can you imagine? <laughs> but it's um, again the, the Armageddon thing. I, I I remember I preferred the part where he sort of um, sabotages Ben Affleck's backpack so he can't go. I thought that was yeah. much, much more. See, that's a, that's an earned emotional beat. I thought and in. You know, like ah, gee, fuck you! I'm uh, I'm going to your place. That was a nice bit, and then the modelling stuff. But again, I'm again good reference of you know another tr- bunch of unlikely astronauts get sent into space uh, for dubious reasons, which are scientifically questionable. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. I, I I I never cared for that film. Do we? So he's strapped the thing. Nobody's really said anything apart from going, "Oh, that's bad," and <laughs> and off he goes. Um, Oh, we don't see him again. So uh, they go, okay, let's get home. Uh, so the sat- the the shuttle is buggered. Yeah, and they they go to extreme lengths to point that out. This shuttle is wrecked. It's um, it's 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 absolutely. It's got one functioning rocket bit. It's got no guidance system. I, I can't stress how much they really yeah. reiterate the point. Again, the espresso's broken. <laughs> yeah, the bog is backing up, guys. <laughs> I wouldn't use that for the next ten minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, they, they do go to extreme to say again. It's never, it's never made entirely clear exactly what the problem is because we're not astronauts. We don't do space engineering. But they say again and again, the odds of it landing. Oh, sorry, the odds of survival if they jump out are twenty percent. The odds of it landing zero percent. Yeah, they make that very, very explicit. Yeah, like too much. They should have said two yeah. percent because guess yeah. what, guys, he lands yeah. it fine. Um, <laughs> but it's, and, oh, but it's got the thing. And I feel like this is an era of films where this phrase was used in at least 50% of films. Well, we're going to have to do this thing manually. Because <laughs> uh, so the computer, as per earlier, the computer, they, he asks for the computer to be turned off. The computer is now broken. So they're going to have to land the thing manually, just like it was in Driving Miss Daisy. I don't know. But <laughs> uh, like we said earlier, Clinish was not the pilot. He is a pilot. Like, he was, he's a pilot, but he's yeah. not the one who's been training this entire time. He certainly hasn't yeah. flown a plane anywhere as recently as Tommy Lee Jones has. Yeah, and they say, actually, could anyone land this? Only Hawk, who's gone, and Toby, the the the, the other astronaut, who's, who's been knocked out. They've specified that. He's yeah. concussed. He's, he's he's a write-off. And so is Ethan. Like, he's been out in space. He's been concussed. He's, they're both strapped to the wall. He's unconscious. So like, they, they are no good to anyone, by all accounts. But... That's what I like. Is in like they keep saying like if, you, if they bail out, they have a twenty percent chance of survival. So <laughs> first, the door opens as in the in the atmosphere. First off, Ethan and Toby are now suddenly conscious again, and they throw them out yeah. and just close the door, and then they land safely. So we, we never see those guys again. They could have died quite yeah, easily. Yeah, we don't know. We yeah, because again, what does what does William Devane say? They've got a twenty percent chance that they bail yeah. out. And that, so and the five to one, the... those two nice young men with a family and a future out of them, dead. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> just like, it's, it's almost like they're on purpose. Like, yeah, out you go, guys. We know one of them's concussed. He doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. Like, he's going to pull his own shoot at the right moment. Why just they wait until the very last second? Just, oh, I know I know, I can land it with about 20 feet, feet off the ground. Push him out now. But they won't be able to, <laughs> just push him out now. Pricks. <laughs> uh, 
we'll say we tried our best, right? But that's it. They land so, um, <clears throat> against all odds, especially the additionally odds that Clint Eastwood, like we say, <laughs> not a pilot. Uh, we cut into Mission Control and everyone's celebrating. And uh, we cut to James Cromwell to get his comeuppance. And then he doesn't. He doesn't at all. No, not at all. It's just he's been interviewed and he goes, uh, "Yeah, I knew Frank could do it." And that's and then mm. William Devane and uh, Marsha Gay Harden roll their eyes and that's the end of that fucking plot. <laughs> Utterly pointless. Well, that, not that, there. that was. That was no. I was. That was the only part I was genuinely unsatisfied by. Like, okay, come on. He should get mm. like just guys in suits come up and put a hand on his shoulder and says, "Could you? We have some questions for you, Mister Gerson." But yeah. nothing. Take him down a peg, a bit or something. I don't think there was any some sort of deleted scene, but it doesn't seem like it because that's the last bit, isn't he? He's taking credit for yeah. all that happened. Again, like Clint Eastwood never films more than he's planning on using because he's on by five, on by five. Um, <laughs> Fished uh, in his frisky wife, <laughs> uh, and uh, and then we go back to the frisky wife. They're in the garden. They're looking up at the moon, and she says, "Do you think he made it?" And Frank says something like, "I don't give a shit." <laughs> I'm, yeah, probably. I'm gonna go get my yogurt and finish that garage door. Um, and and then we have the uh, genuinely quite. I think just because you put Frank Sinatra's "Fly Me to the Moon" over something doesn't make it all right. No, it does. It's so odd this bit. So we start. We it's kind of from orbit around the moon. We have a helicopter shot or whatever you know, theoretically a helicopter shot all the way down to the surface, uh, um, past some rocks. We see the crashed icon Russian satellite, uh, and then we can see some footsteps coming from one bit of it, and then it's just dead Tommy Lee Jones against a rock. Yeah. Looking up at Earth, like Look, like yeah. he's basking in the light, didn't it? And then it I mean, and it zooms into the reflection of the moon and just fades out. It's really um again like I think this is the part I thought that the scene so struck me so badly is in it, it sort of pans around a rock and it's sort of it's almost like the camera sneaks up in him a bit. It's like a big reveal. I thought <laughs> the way he sat there goes, is he knocking one out? Who's <laughs> 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 Donald Sutherland's character, maybe, but that seems a little bit bad. Billy Connolly in the moon. You know when you're gonna die because you're out of O2 and you're like, maybe I'll just have one last wee wank. <laughs> yeah. Oxygen deprivation. Who knew that could be stimulating? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I make sure the air goes to the exact right parts, I'll tell you, before I blacked out. It's the most expensive strangle wank in history. <laughs> Better make it count. Um, and, and on that note... Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's an odd note to end the film on, as in... It, it could be a bit more subtle, it could be a bit more sort of... You could have seen the crash site and maybe from a distance, like... You know, leave it a bit ambiguous, but it's very much clear he made it and he's dead now. So. It's <laughs> wow, that, and you're, okay. like, you're kind of like, yay! I mean, I mean, if he had come back, there's a lot of experimental, you know, uh, medications, and Marsha Gay Harden seems like a catch. So uh, yeah. you could, you know, maybe you could cut yeah. her air for her and see if it works slightly better. Yeah. But um, yeah. also, the also another sort of weird, um, you know, throwaway bit, almost literally in this case, that the satellite has six massive nukes on it. And like, the whole point is, you have to fight, go far enough away, and then fire them off, so they're out of Earth's reach or something, so they're, they're not doing any harm to everyone. And so, like, it's a big tense moment, like, oh my God, he's going to do this. And then, <laughs> just like later on, the Iraq mission control, I think Cromwell says, uh, "Hawk fired the missiles, it's fine." Like, oh, okay, so just some random nukes floating out of there now. Oh yeah, sort I of, like, think of that. Yeah, just, just thrown away, and then okay, that's who cares about the nukes? As <laughs> if like they were only ever a plot device. Just, All right. Okay, so I guess that's nowhere near as bad as we thought, but again, film's over, who cares? <laughs> but it's hmm. not a bad one. No, no, I didn't mind it at all. Just like, in the last 30, 20, 30 25 minutes, 
again, it's, it's, like you say, it's really hard to say it's bad because what else would they have done at this point? I think they sort of wrote themselves into a corner a bit and they got, they got me into space. I mean, if it was a film about four old guys getting into space, that would have been fine, I guess, but it wouldn't have been as, you know, there's it, it, not much of an arc to that. Four old men want to go to space and do. So, so yeah, so there has to be something happening. But, yeah, I think they got the point where it had to be something a bit more jarring than the rest of the film, maybe. I f- yeah, I feel like... Because, you know, in um, Space Camp... You've probably seen Space Camp. Um, if I have, I can't remember it. So it's Oh, been, really? Oh, you'd love yeah. Space... It's the exact opposite of this. It's kids okay. in space and something <laughs> okay, goes wrong. fair enough. Um, it's on YouTube because no one bothers to maintain the rights to that one. Um, <laughs> uh, but they, they go up in space and they just... Uh, Basically, they accidentally end up being launched due to a problem with the launch site, and they haven't got enough oxygen, so they have to get enough oxygen. So it's much, it's high stakes, but mm. it's not like some Minneapolis might blow up. And I think they would have <laughs> done better if it had been something a little bit more um, low key. Yeah, yeah, but it's um, <clears throat> when is this? I mean, obviously, um, this is more former your uh, um, department of mind, but where does this stand in like the Clint Eastwood pantheon? Like, is it respected or is it um? Is it known as one of his good ones, or oh, it's a mid tier? I'm going to say it's a mid tier one. It's about seventy five percent or something on on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it it made its money back. It did. It was quite high budget for him. It was fifty or sixty million because of all that CGI, which was which was a, which George Lucas was was pretty involved in it because he read the hmm. script. Clint Eastwood and he went, "I'm going to fucking clue how to do this bit." So he just literally phoned up George Lucas because that <laughs> he can do. If you Clint Eastwood, you can walk into ILM <laughs> yes, and say, "I want to do the fucking guy yeah. with the neck." Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Clint Eastwood would probably walk in NASA a bit more than that Frank guy could. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, they just got mixed up for a second. You are Clint Eastwood, like, no, I'm Frank Corson. <laughs> but he did. He, he did alright. Made about 120 million. I think it's sort of one of those ones mm. that. It's a it's a dad film. It kind of lives on. Yeah, it hasn't really dated particularly. No, no. I think, I think like, even like NASA technology is kind of where it was right now because there's not enough money to advance space technology and stuff. So, so yeah. So like scientifically, it and also the moon's the moon. You know, <laughs> space is space. It's not going to change much. In the last yeah, you can tell years. it's all. Oh, look at the moon now. It's totally different. It's got a Starbucks on it now. <laughs> it's just a couple of Tim Hortons. Um. <laughs> but it's um no, I liked it again. It's sort of again the last. 25 minutes does spoil it a bit for me in that I also I think it does leave a bit of a sour note in that <clears throat> it makes you realise a lot of the film is Clint Eastwood and pals they want to do something so it happens like they want to go into space despite all the reasons they shouldn't it happens they want to do this it happens and like you know they say so much they make so much so much of an elaborate point of this shuttle couldn't possibly land but I, I want it to land so it will happen I think it's a bit, a bit of wish fulfillment, a bit too much in the in the script. Yeah, I think the other guys get off. I mean, Tommy Jones gets it really in the neck on this one because everyone yeah. else is like, oh, this is a problem. I'll solve it instantaneously." And he's just like, "Is there anyone doing anything <laughs> about pancreatic cancer right now? <laughs> anyone? No. Oh, bollocks. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna but, fuck yeah. off the moon then." <laughs> Massive wank. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was uh, Space Cowboys. Um, yes. I I enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Mm. For, I hope it wasn't. I mean, it could. It's better than Firefox. Okay, well, that's good to know because I think I've ever seen Firefox. Like I've heard about it. Thought I should have to watch that because it's got a brain in it, and I never did. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a. It might have a brain in it, but there's nobody involved. in it has got a fucking brain. The stupidest oh. film. 
I, I, I hate I hate to say that because it was written by Welshman as well. Well, you know, can't always be right. Yeah, I know. We can't always mm-hmm. be right. Well, Dean, thank you very much for uh, talking to me about Space Cowboys. Yes, very much enjoyable. That was the podcast with no name, hosted by Dan Thomas, that's me, produced by Dan Thomas, that's me, edited by Dan... You get the gist. Thank you.